Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And uh, today we will be catching up on cinema. However, this episode will, I guess we'll be calling this Catching Up on Cinema Versus Edition. Versus Edition. Versus. Oh, yeah. So for today's subject, and we've done this once before with uh, The Mummy 1999 versus The Mummy 2017, keyword being versus. Um, however, today we will be covering the the two American Godzilla films. It's interesting you say that this is going to be like uh, The Mummy is because we saw The Mummy 99, or is it Mummy, Mummy 2000? I can't get back in that. It's again. 99. 99. <laughs> Mummy 99 and Mummy 17, and we're covering two Godzilla movies, but both of these franchises have an older movie. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, we had ne- neither one of us, or in, for the case of The Mummy, neither one of us have seen the original movie. I have. You have. Okay, so I haven't. So in this case, I had to watch the original, or not an original, but a much older uh, Godzilla movie in preparation for these two movies. Yeah, that's why I preface things by saying the American Godzilla films. Yes. Um, So Kyle doesn't really have a history with this franchise. Um, Godzilla, of course, the original film, Gojira, from 1954, was what got the franchise rolling. Uh, For a good long while, they were cranking out like a movie every one or two years. Um, the Godzilla franchise is wide-reaching. It's known worldwide. It's very important to me in particular. Uh, Godzilla was and always will be kind of like a personal hero of mine. Um, growing up, like him and Optimus Prime were, were basically like my two biggest heroes. Um, I watched uh, Son of Godzilla and Terror of Mechagodzilla and Godzilla vs. Mothra. Uh, virtually every day of my early childhood (laughs) Um, my poor mother had to sit through both my brother watching those movies and then me four years later doing it again Uh, so she probably knows them better than I do but point being Godzilla is very important to me and I know the ins and outs of virtually every movie in the series like the back of my hand whereas Kyle has no history with it so these American Godzilla movies when he originally saw them that was all he had to work from. The, this big CGI lizard on the screen in like 1998 Godzilla, mm-hmm. that's all he had to work from. Yes. That he's viewing, he viewed that movie strictly as just a singular viewing experience, not part of a several decades long f- franchise up to that point. No, I had never... I, I, I watched Terror of... Is it Mecha or Micha? Mecha. Mecha Godzilla uh, very recently. I've seen the... Um, uh, I've seen Godzilla 98 a billion times. Wow. Uh, I've seen it quite a few times as a kid. Um, and I've seen the 2014 one and a half times. Uh, I watched about half, of, a little over half of it in preparation of this. I didn't get to finish it. Um, you'll have to help me out well, a little you, bit with You've it. brought it up in conversation in the past, though, so I, have, I get the sense that you know it pretty well. I know it, I know it pretty decently. Um, real quick, I think how you, how you hold Godzilla special is how much I hold that first Jurassic Park movie special because I've seen it probably more than any other movie. That's the movie I've seen the most and I love it every single time I watch it. I don't know. It's kind of similar to that except for imagine that but there's multiple movies in the series. That's what I was thinking. I'm like the closest thing I have to that I'm like one that was like something that I just fucking love so much. I've loved since I was a kid and I still love is that is that first yeah, Jurassic Park I mean movie. Jurassic Park um, has gotten a little long in the tooth fairly recently <laughs> <Pun intended>. uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but man. Godzilla like the main difference though is that Jurassic Park they have their mascot characters mm-hmm. like they they've always had the T-Rex yeah. they, they trot him out whenever they get a chance we, we mentioned in a previous episode that 
in Jurassic Park 3, they very foolishly tried to remove him from the equation. Yeah. And it ended up kind of killing the entire movie. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, God, you took the best thing out of it? What the fuck were you thinking? Well, the third movie, they use him as a gag. It's supposed to be exactly. a fun, It's just a gag. But yeah, um, don't give me but now, But now with, like, the Jurassic World movies, they've started trotting out, like, the actors that we love. Like, like Jeff Goldblum gets, he gets, like pushed out onto the stage in Jurassic World 2 uh, just because, you know, nowadays everybody loves... Like, everybody from that era knows and loves Jeff Goldblum. Just seeing him in a movie is enough to... It's... In wrestling parlance, it's, you know, it's, like, cheap heat. Versus, like, it's guaranteed to get the crowd popping to see Dr. Ian Malcolm back in a movie. It's like, holy shit! Also, those movies are going to do so well that they're like, yeah, we'll give you $5 million for... Oh, absolutely, for... Like, one and a half scenes. I don't know if that's how much he made, but I'm like, they can afford it. Like, you can absolutely afford it. I wouldn't doubt if it was more. It might be more. But <laughs> it's it's just one of those examples of fan service where, in the case of Godzilla, though, it's like every single one of these movies is built around him. It is very much. And not just the American ones, but the Japanese ones and also. It's it's his franchise. Whereas Jurassic Park, you know, that's, that's a movie with an ensemble cast and a whole bunch of colorful CGI characters. There's, there's not like that one singular yeah. element that's bringing you to the film. Whereas Godzilla, it's like, his name is in the fucking title. You're watching this because you want to see him. You don't care about all the other yeah. pieces in motion or whatever. It's just Godzilla. Yeah. Um, I just want to... We're going to be talking about the 1998 and the 2014 ones mostly, but I just wanted to touch real quick on uh, Mecha Godzilla 1975. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to say real quick what I liked about it and some of the things I noticed. I don't want to take too long with this if that's cool. I don't yeah, know Kyle, you... Kyle saw this movie for the first time very recently on my recommendation. And this is one of your favorite of the Godzilla films. Absolutely. Um, uh, I really liked... I love the beginning. I love how we're starting off with action. Like, we're just going straight it's into it. It's a recap of the previous film. Yeah. I like that. Uh, great. It gives you the backstory. Uh, I was a little surprised at the narration throughout the film. That felt really much of the time. It felt like really like a really long trailer almost. Um, There's a lot of montages in there, yeah. Um, I love the miniatures. I like the submarine miniature. Uh, <laughs> this was English dubs. I, I, I never thought I would say this. Like When I was a kid, I'm like, I just watched the, the English dub movies and like I hate subtitles now. I'm like, give me fucking subtitles. <laughs> I hate the dubs. Um I like the uh, I like how the concept art was used as props in the film. Mm-hmm. I noticed that. Um, I really I think my favorite uh, scene in the movie is where we look at uh, Mechagodzilla's suit, and you can tell it's the suit that the actor is in. But they do uh, they do a really neat job of building a, like a set around it. And there's just vague sparks. It's like a erector set built attached to him. <laughs> but there's a shot where you see the people looking in at him, and mm-hmm. I thought that was a really it was a really good shot. Yeah, it's um, a nice attempt at a composite shot with you know very little money and t- and, little and prep time. But it's an attempt that gets the point across. Um, and this is something that I've seen parodied in Godzilla movies. Is there's um, miniatures and that's I think that's a very important part of Godzilla movies absolutely um, the miniatures and I even text you while I was watching this I'm like I love the miniatures in this movie like like they are they're brilliant like they're really good and you're like this is not even the best one well the funny thing to know about Terra of Mecha Godzilla is that it came out in 1975 um, Godzilla movies were being phased out at that point because mm-hmm. they were not very profitable in fact that I read the Wikipedia after you told me you were watching it, and uh, I guess it was the lowest grossing film in the entire franchise. No kidding. <laughs> um, it's my favorite one. <laughs> but uh, So what was happening was uh, 
around this time in like Japanese film history, uh, we mentioned this before in a previous episode, I think, versus um, tokusatsu was taking over TV um, mm. as a genre. So you had Ultraman and Kamen Rider and the Sentai series. Sentai being like Japanese equivalent of well, Power Rangers is Sentai. <laughs> so the footage they used is, came from Super Sentai. Um, all this stuff was becoming really big in the late 60s, early 70s. So you had the equivalent of like Godzilla movie production values on TV mm-hmm. every week across multiple TV shows. Why the fuck are we making motion pictures in this style? And I can actually remember, real quick, I remember it might have been the first episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Mm-hmm. There's a there's like a bug a bug thing that is being uh, fought by the giant. The, you know when they all combine their powers? Yeah, the Megazord. And, and, that's a discussion for another day of Power Rangers. <laughs> um, but you can see the miniatures because it's two people oh, yeah. fighting. And... No, the same special effects techniques just mm-hmm. applied to broadcast television yeah. on a weekly basis. So. Uh, in fact, there was a show called Zone Fighter that Godzilla appeared on. Like, okay. not not just the suit, because they, they reused the Godzilla suit in a few episodes of Ultraman. Mm. They just put a, a frill around his neck and put some paint on his head. Um, budget cuts, you know. <laughs> it's a hell of a thing, but... So you had the situation where the studio is realizing that, oh, shit, like this stuff's getting phased out. It's just not economically viable to put motion picture funds into these movies. Let's just stick with television. So this movie, the ending of it, it's a gorgeous shot. It's a there's a set at Toho Studios that I think has been closed down for at least a decade now. It's called the Big Pool, the Daipuru. Um, It's the set that they used for all the underwater shots mm-hmm. and it has this gorgeous painting that's like 100 feet tall and 100 feet wide of just a blue sky mm-hmm. so they would use this giant pool that had to be cleaned and you know filtered every fucking day yeah. uh, for all the underwater scenes all the scenes like like naval battles and stuff and it's just this wonderful overhead shot of Godzilla wading Walk, out yeah. into the ocean it's with a this really good shot beautiful music playing by uh, Akira Ifukube who's the he's like the the composer of the Godzilla series. I mean, there've been a, there've been several composers, but he was the guy who did all the major themes. But that shot is a farewell. Gotcha. It's it, it was the end of an era, like literally. So this was the last of the Showa era of Godzilla movies, and he would not come back to cinemas until 1984. Mm. It was because this was the end of that era. <laughs> um, I'm just gonna note a couple more things, and then we could probably dive in. Um, an important thing, and this is going to come up in our discussion, um, is a showdown. <laughs> I think that it's probably one of the most important elements of a Godzilla movie is there needs to be a showdown at the end, and that's generally how it's supposed to end, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, generally that's the format, is that uh, we're stuck with the human characters who are, you know, in typical, even in American sci-fi movies throughout the 50s and 60s, it's usually just science man, reporter yeah. gal, yeah. or general guy. Um, they're, you know ciphers they're not exactly the most interesting characters but we're stuck with them for the first hour and then usually the last half hour cuts back and forth between them doing whatever it is they're doing and the monsters fighting Um, and godzilla usually is just this he's represented as like a force of nature mm -hmm. where he he shows up not for any real reason but just something's got to get done and and like his his spider sense goes off and he's just like Somebody's got to get their ass beat. <laughs> um, and then Katsura, who I had a big crush on, oh, I'm watching this. Very fine. She's very fine. Um, she who did the whoever did the dub for her in this movie sounds like Uma Thurman in Batman and Robin. Uh, that's what I noticed. <laughs> uh, I'm I don't it's because it's from 1975 and she's like, 
we need to go do this. Uh, <laughs> and I was just laughing. I'm like, she sounds like Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy. I'm curious if it's the same dub that I grew up with. I'll have to, I'll, I, uh, I'd have to rent it again. Uh, well, at some point, I'll, I'll, <laughs> Titanosaurus! My Titanosaurus! <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just wanted to point out, those, those are things I kind of like from the movie. Um, one thing I've noticed with all three of these movies is, and I don't know if this is a Godzilla trope or whatever, there's a huge lull in the midsection of these movies usually like, there is it's just we have because it's piecing it together you you you're there's something coming we don't know what it is we're introduced to it we have to figure out what it is how we kill it and then we execute that plan of some kind and they and because the uh, the latter two are pretty long that's a significant amount of the movie um this you could feel it I mean, this is a shorter movie, but then again, like you said, this is the end of the franchise with this director. Um, so, this was the low. Like we said, this was the least of any Godzilla movie. This was the yeah. Least. It didn't make any money. Wow. <laughs> it didn't make any money. And the thing to note that what you said about the miniatures mm-hmm. is that uh, this was in the seventies. Um, using stock footage was really a big thing in Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. Um, using stock footage of previous films in the series uh to the point that they were using shots of differently constructed godzilla suits like noticeably different sculpts like not not at all similar looking Mm -hmm. but just trying their best to cut around it and it was because they didn't have the money so like all the pyrotechnics and stuff it's pretty fucking obvious when mechagodzilla is doing his eye beams on the city Mm mm-hmm they filmed that with like three cameras at the same time and reused as many shots of those explosions as they could. I think they blew up maybe three buildings for that entire scene. Uh, and as a kid, you know, you don't notice that at all. Yeah. They... But the, the point I'm trying to make is that these miniatures that you really appreciated, mm-hmm. and I do too, are actually an example of like kind of shoddy craftsman work, like craftsmanship. In this film. In, in Terror of Mechagodzilla. Okay. Like some of the movies from the, the early 60s, the Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm much more detailed much more love and time put into them because they had the time and the money whereas this one it was like we gotta go see I wanted to watch the original one you're like no you need to watch Mechagodzilla I'm like motherfucker okay fine it's because uh, the original movie is an excellent movie but it's from 1954 Mm -hmm. Um, I actually did a I actually did a paper in college about this about um, the legacy like franchise characters like media Mm -hmm. and how if a franchise gets gets enough years on it the character starts um becoming restructured to suit the to suit the needs of the day Mm -hmm. so for the example i like to use is uh godzilla is the japanese equivalent to james bond okay because james bond originated in in novels and stuff but in the movies from the early 60s onward he's just been ever present James Bond is not the same as he was in the early 60s. Mm -mm. Neither is Godzilla. He's not the same as he was in 1954. From movie to movie, from year to year, these characters change to suit the needs of the current audience. And in Godzilla's case, in 1975, uh, that was when he was entering... That was like during his friend-to-all-children phase. Mm. I'm not sure if the version of the movie you saw had the scene where the two kids are watching Titanosaurus tear up the city. I don't recall. Okay, so there's these this fat yes, there's yes, a yes, fat yes, kid yes, in a yeah. in a like a baseball jacket, that. yeah, and Godzilla shows up and saves them. Yeah, that was done on purpose. Like that was done because hey, there's kids coming to see the fucking movie. Yeah, 
Whereas in 1954, Godzilla is just nuclear walking fucking death. <laughs> like there's no there's no love, there's no empathy in his heart. He's just there to burn people. <laughs> um, real quick, I I we're talking about Godzilla, but I just want to bring something up. Uh, if you've listened to the Predator episode, and I meant to explain this in further detail, um, I mentioned that they should have killed the mom. I'm like, you should have just killed her. Um, and if you're listening to that, like, what the fuck is this dude's problem? And I didn't unpack what I meant by that. Um, what I meant was, is you could have had the um, the super predator um, not follow the rules of the predator because he's a muscle man and just be like, uh, it doesn't matter if you have a gun or not, I'm just going to fucking kill you. Like, I'm just a dick. It would have made a lot of sense for his character, too, because he was there for a specific purpose. Exactly. Like, he wasn't there to hunt, he wasn't there to collect trophies, he was just there to get the boy, get the MacGuffin. And that's where I was coming from, and I, I was thinking about our discussion afterwards, and I'm like, damn, I, that came off kind of brutal there. Like, <laughs> maybe I should have unpacked that and, like, clarified what I meant. Um, but yeah, that was just a real sidestep. I needed to get it off my off my chest there. So, I'm not a psychopath, I just, I had a reason, like, he needs to be just really evil. But yeah. I, I digress. <laughs> um, so... I just wanted to mention Make a Godzilla because I have to try so hard to keep you on track for this. Episode. I'm sorry, I know I'm, I've been all over the place. No, no, not even not even that. It's just I know that I have to for this episode because I know how much you like Godzilla. It's if we were to have a discussion about the Jurassic Park movies, like we could probably both go off on a tangent. I think we'd both like have aneurysms or something trying to like out out endure each other's stamina. <laughs> because I saw Jurassic World, I'm like, oh I guess we're pounding off to the Raptors now. That's all it is. Uh yeah. Greatest scene from like one of my favorite scenes from the first one is when the Raptors are introduced. It's awesome. Like, oh no, no we're just gonna pound off to that in these new movies. It's it's fine. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Well, I mean it's it's like the point we we're making with the thing. Yeah. The discussion about the thing was that that's the worst thing you can do to a monster is overexpose it. Mm-hmm. If you if they're on screen constantly, it takes away any of their threat, any of their menace. Uh, and in the case of like Godzilla or something, it takes away the, the majesty, mm-hmm. takes away the grandeur of of like part of the fun of Godzilla movies actually. And I think this is very true is uh, uh, his entrance, the build up. That's that's his, a, that's a his, great place his to first start. appearance in almost any movie is the tone setter. It's the most. It's one of the most crucial things to the success of a Godzilla movie in a lot of ways. I completely agree because you can you only get that one shot, and then if you put him in the movie too much after that, see, it makes him less interesting. That was the one thing I was kind of disappointed with with uh, Mika Godzilla was be like you said, it's a continuation of the last movie. I'm like I I wanted that. That's why I wanted to watch the originals because that's. From Godzilla '98 and '14, that's the fun part of the movie is the build-up and introducing yourself, introducing the audience to the the creature. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to watch that original one. I'm like, I want to see how it was done, uh, and I think that Gamera does a really good job, which is not a uh, not a Godzilla movie. Yeah, he's he's talking about Gamera uh, from '96. Mm-hmm. Not uh, there is one from 1966. Okay, of course. Um, course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, why wouldn't there be? Uh, um, but the one I watched, yes, yeah. like that was the fun part of the movie. Is like, oh. I'm like the build up to it. I think it's really good in that movie. I think I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. Like yeah. it, it really does a good job of introducing both Gauss, the birds, uh, who I've, I I feel that um, 2014 Godzilla has quite a bit more in common with Gamera with the 90s Gamera movies than it does actual Godzilla movies. And we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll point. get to that. But um, so yeah, I guess that's a good place to start with yeah. the, with the American Godzilla movies. Is Godzilla's entrance, his first appearance in both of these films, and it, you can cheat a little bit with 2014 because technically his first appearance is in the opening credits. Yeah, 
Um, I'm going to take uh, Godzilla 98 just because I've seen it so many times. And uh, 14, half of it is f- fresh in my head, but you, I would think, have it a little bit more in your head yeah. uh, than I do right now. Um, so, yeah, Godzilla 98. Um, we start off with, we're being kind of explained uh, visual storytelling that uh, these... Actually, are, they have very similar openings. Now. They have almost identical yeah. openings. Uh, and I think that uh, Michi Godzilla has something similar, isn't it? Are they using it as a weapon? Godzilla is being used as a weapon like he is in Godzilla 14. No. Um, Godzilla. the opening is a recap of the of the climax of the previous film, which was Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla mm-hmm. from just the year before. Yeah. Um, it's funny actually they cut an entire monster out of that <laughs> really um there's another monster that was involved in the fight <laughs> uh, king Caesar. he he looks like a like a ancient dog monster from okinawa <laughs> but isn't godzilla being weaponized by the government oh and in, in, in Me- 2014 in mecha godzilla in mecha no no i must have i, I mis- misinterpreted that the opening montage it seemed as though he was being used as a weapon no the aliens built a mecha godzilla godzilla shows up uh, they throw down, they kind of hurt each other, and then they have to throw down a second time, and then Mechagodzilla gets blown up, Godzilla gets tossed into the ocean, roll credits. Well, that's where we start with uh, 2014, though, is mm-hmm. that he's in the ocean. Yeah. That's just probably he's, why he's right. a citizen of the depths. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. 98 Godzilla. 98 now. Godzilla, we're seeing this little montage of uh, nuclear weapons testing, and then iguanas on this island, and you can pretty much put two and two together, yeah, that it's... nuclear... Explosion is responsible for Godzilla. I even knew that as a kid. Yeah, like, Godzilla is apparently French Polynesian yes. in Godzilla '98. <laughs> oh yes, he's French Polynesian. Yeah, he, yeah piss off, <laughs> piss off with your shit. Um, uh, I, I I like that explanation though. Now I've never seen the original Godzilla, and it, they didn't touch on it. Mika Godzilla, or Mecha Godzilla. Um, is that in the original Godzilla? Is that what he is? Is he? He's a product of nuclear bomb testing and that makes absolute sense because them uh which i believe is almost around like a few like two or three years uh before or after um this was a in science fiction um films where you were using nuclear um nuclear testing to create monsters oh yeah no the 1950s was the era of the giant bug Mm -hmm. it's like giant ants giant giant praying mantises giant gila monsters them is giant tarantulas they get killed by clint eastwood (laughs) them is a perfect example of how you were doing just a fantastic job of building up to having this creature and then when you see you're like what the fuck is that are you kidding me i adore that movie i like it but the fucking ants man (sighs) i thought they were effective and, but yeah, the build is excellent because yeah. it starts out as a serial killer movie. Mm-hmm. It does, absolutely. And then we get the little hints here and there where it's like, oh, there's sugar everywhere. What are these footprints? I don't recognize these. They're not in the fossil record. And then all- the little girl. And then we get the scene where she screams them. And then finally we see the, the ant in the snowstorm. And then, like you said, it's like for a modern audience, it's like, oh, well, there goes all the fun. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, there goes all the suspense. <laughs> um. So we get the um, we get the opening montage, and then we're, we're I think we go we start with the Japanese boat, 
Uh, yes. We are we are on the boat, and I like I like the boat sequence. Um, you have a lot of Asian character actors down there. We have there. Al Leong. Uh huh. And there's a there's a couple more dudes that I recognize. Yeah. I can't think of what I've seen them in stuff. I know I can't think of off the top of my head. Yeah. There's the the ship captain. I recognized him. He's a Japanese guy. I can't remember his name, but Al Leong is one of the people cutting fish in there. Real quick, are these all Japanese character actors? Fuck no. Okay, that's what I thought. That's, <laughs> Fuck that's no. What I thought. That's why I said Asian character <laughs> actors because I'm like I don't think Roland Emmerich no, is. These are these are mostly Asian American actors. Al Leong being Chinese yeah that's <laughs> yeah that's what I thought yeah um, no. <laughs> yeah. um so yeah I like the boat sequence I think it's a cool way to start the movie um you're getting your you're getting your build up right away like oh this thing well, is no it's also tell. a nod to the original movie because mm. the supposedly the what led to the the writing of the script for the original Godzilla was um what the lucky dragon ship mm-hmm. uh, there was an example of of some of fishermen who were exposed to nuclear energy on a fishing boat who uh yeah like this actually kind of happened so uh, it wasn't a monster but it was like a nuclear bomb went off and they were in the area like talking about this now like i don't know if there's a way that we can talk about 98 and 14 without referencing the older Godzilla movies. Like, it's almost going to be a, a comparison of these two with regards to the original or Mechagodzilla. Well, it's, I mean, Godzilla 98 and 2014 are both adaptations yeah. of, of a source material that has decades of history behind it. It's mm. impossible to come at it with an entirely fresh perspective because you're, you're obligated to pay homage in some ways. Otherwise, you're going entire, to entirely piss off your audience. And, um, Japanese producers, Jap- Japanese companies in general are notorious for being persnickety and hard to deal with with foreign entities. Um, like, for example, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's not a very good movie, and it was directed by incompetent people. Um, but it's well known that during the production, Nintendo was giving them a lot of shit and oh, giving right. them a lot of notes all through the production. <laughs> like, <laughs> giving them notes. That's no, and, and uh, Wreck-It Ralph. Um, I haven't seen it, but... Yeah, I'm not going to watch it. um, The whole concept of the movie is that it takes place in the video game world. And to make it more authentic, they they made contact with, like, a lot of video game production companies, a lot of of developers like Capcom and Mm -hmm. Nintendo and Squaresoft, all these big companies. Did anybody tell them to fuck off? No, they they actually got some deals with, like, Nintendo and, and Zangief is in the fucking movie from Street Fighter. What about Capcom? Isn't that Mortal Kombat? That's Capcom. Uh, Capcom did Street Fighter. Who did Mortal Kombat? Uh, Midway. Did Midway? I, love um, I don't think so. Um, but I... uh, what happened though was um, I remember Nintendo was hassling Disney, like giving them production notes saying like Bowser can be in the movie, but he has to be this tall. Oh, like really? he can't be shorter than Zangief. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and these are things that everybody has to deal with. Oftentimes, you hear these stories about dealing with Japanese companies and managing their their media franchises, and I would not be surprised if Godzilla '98 and 2014 had this shit coming at them every step of the way. I want to see the box office numbers for Japan for both of these movies because I'm actually curious because they did Godzilla 2000 in response to this movie, correct? Uh, yeah, kind of. It was kind of what got the ball rolling on that because it was it's you know renewed interest because mm-hmm. up to that point Godzilla had taken a break. See, Godzilla movies in Japan in particular have come in eras. So like the first one was the Showa era, which ended with 1975. Yeah. Um, the Heisei era started in 1984, which would be the 30th anniversary, and then concluded in 1995. 
and then he took another break and then picked up in 2000. Okay. Um, all right, so I guess we can kind of, we're, we're introduced, we get a backstory of Godzilla, what he is, and now we're seeing what kind of damage he can do. Yeah, so this whole fishing boat gets torn to shreds. Um, and then well, we can talk about Godzilla 14. How, how does it start out? Well, it starts out with, uh, as Kyle said, almost an identical montage uh, showing very clever credit sequences where uh, basically it looks like grainy-ass footage from... I think it's new footage, but doctored to look like, yeah. like 1940s footage. It's effective. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. And uh, they do this clever thing with the credits where it, um, it gets redacted as you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Which it has the look of like a classified government document or a, or a dossier new, of some yeah, kind. It's, oh, it's kind of cool looking. Like a Medal of Honor dossier. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. what I was thinking. <laughs> Actually, yeah, no, no fooling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we get a whole bunch of shots of uh, these these flashes of text that we are too fast to read but it's hinting at there's some sort of thing in the pacific that people are worried about and then we get shots of uh, naval ships and like missile silos and things like that and the concluding shot of this whole opening credit sequence is uh godzilla's dorsal fins coming Mm -hmm. out of the ocean and before we get a good look at him uh the bikini atoll uh h-bomb goes off Mm -hmm. and we get uh, intercut with with special effects footage, the actual test footage of the H bomb going off, and uh, basically what that communicates to us is that uh, we're trying to kill Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> we're like some people in the military and the government are aware that this thing exists, and we're throwing H bombs at him. We're trying to kill this thing. <laughs> <laughs> in yeah, in the fifties, and um, then from there I think we go to Janjira. Yeah, we go to um, go to Japan where Brian Cranston and I forget the the actress's name. She's like an English patient. Uh, she French. <laughs> uh, chocolat. Uh, I think I was telling you about Steve Carell in um, Dan in uh, Real Life. Is it Judith Benoche? I think so. Yeah. That's exactly who it is. Um, I, I recognize the name now. Um, she's very pretty. I, I again, I think I think yeah, I'm French you ladies. have a thing for the French gals. I mean, I think that's kind of a a well known thing that French French accents on women are just it's just very uh, very attractive. But she's just very pretty. I think she's a very very beautiful actress. Um, she's married to Brian Cranston, who is my God. I'm gonna call him khaki white guy. He's the most white guy in this movie. Just dorky. Like he's not like. Not playing like nutty professor dorky, yeah. like he just is coming off that way. He for shops me. at the Apple Store. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there's one scene where he is angry as shit and he's yelling. He and like he is ha- he's having a white guy meltdown right now, <laughs> where he is being nice and polite, but he is very angry right now. His coupon has been rejected <laughs> for the last time. He's having a coupon meltdown. Seriously. <laughs> I've uh, been shopping at this Target for, for 25 years. It's been open for seven, sir. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just just staying so polite. Yeah. But um, we go to the nuclear power plant. Where uh, he and his wife both work. Which I thought this was a good, I thought this was a good way and to do it. We get an introduction of a kind of ham-fisted theme in this movie of uh, his son trying to wish him a happy birthday and him being too busy to even acknowledge it. I didn't even notice that. Oh well, <laughs> it's, I didn't it's even notice there, that it's there and it gets hammered into your fucking brain throughout the entire movie. I'm just I'm just watching Brian Cranston on the phone, just ready to like 
white guy yell at somebody. His his Japanese is kind of funny. <laughs> I, I I'm like, well, that sounds pretty good, but I'm well, not, he he sounds he sounds like he's trying to like put on like a samurai voice or something like he's trying to deepen his voice or something to make it better but it's making it worse moto <laughs> yeah, no, like, yeah exactly i fucking love that shit. <laughs> but oh. oh fun fun fact um i can't remember which ones he did but uh the earliest instances in which i was introduced to brian cranston were through anime oh interesting he dubbed stuff no kidding. Yeah, he was the he was the English dub for a few anime back in the day. I'm guessing it was it stuff that aired on Fox because no, he was No, this Fox. this was like blockbuster video like oh, like okay. 60 minute or 45 minute animations, not like TV shows. Cuz he stuff. was Fox property during Malcolm in the Middle. Oh, yeah. yeah. They owned him. Um <laughs> It's always interesting when you see like you see actors on sitcoms and TV shows on Fox, and then like the the sitcom will go away, and like what happened to that actor? And then they come back on another sitcom, yeah. like oh you're just with Fox. It's the, still. It's the Tim Allen effect, where it's like oh you thought you were leaving Disney? <laughs> no, <laughs> Kaylee Cuoco, 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 Cuoco yeah. from she was in Eight Simple Rules for dating my teenage daughter. Oh. Um, I don't know if that was on CBS, but she was definitely on Big Bang Theory on CBS. So anyway, she's not going nowhere. She ain't going nowhere. <laughs> uh, actually, they canceled that show. Oh, thank God. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh, do us all a favor. Jeez. Uh, nerds, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so they work. I like the shot of inside the nuclear power plant where he's that first shot where he's going to be talking to his wife and stuff. Like I like the inside of that. It felt like an older Godzilla movie. Uh, actually, it felt like the scenes in Gamera. Well, I mean, the set dressings in, in the power plant, mm-hmm. like all the, the lights and dials and stuff, it looks like it's straight out of 1975. Exactly. Like it looks old-fashioned. I liked so it's it. Like, I don't know if that's actually what nuclear power plants look like, but it did not look up to date. I had the exact same thought. I'm like, maybe this is just what they look like on the inside. I mean, it's supposed to be like 1999, but... The- <laughs> we get the inside of a ship at one point. It's a fictional ship. Uh, the USS... Uh, the carrier? Saratoga. It's yeah. It's supposed to be a new uh, a Nimitz class uh, nuclear carrier. Okay. Um, and I have some problems with it later. Sorry <laughs> about that. But no, the inside. Uh, for one one thing, what we see on the inside of the carrier is it's very the, roomy. That's yeah, that's that's the thing. Is I'm like, there's a lot de- of room in there. They got the hatches for the most part down. They got. I definitely noticed little details in there. I'm like, oh, that's that's something that's in the ship. Um, but. The, the room, the ops room, I'm like, I never went in one of those places because I was not allowed in there. Um, but I'm like, I've, I've kind of seen inside there. I'm like, they're much smaller than that. And that's the bridge, technically, where the, where the captain's supposed to be. I'm like, that's not that big. Yeah, it looked, it big. looked very spacious, very roomy, but it's a film production. You know, you got a lot of equipment you got to yeah. move around in there. So if you're building a set, it's in your best interest to give yourself some wiggle room. Who was the captain in the 2014 Godzilla? He's a character actor, and I've seen him in several things. You I just know, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I really like him. I he like was him in too. the Bourne Ultimatum and uh, uh, that. What was the movie? I can't remember. It's about journalism. It's really good. Oh God! But he has a very distinct speaking voice, and he's he's wonderful. I knew who he was from the back of his head. Like that's how we're introduced to him. Like I know exactly who that no, is. As soon as I heard his voice, I yeah. was like, oh, I like him. Um, but yeah, let's we'll get back oh, to good, the plot. Good night and good luck. I think <clears throat> was the movie I'm trying to think. I didn't see that one. It's very good. It's black and white. It's about journalism. That sounds awful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest with you. It sounds terrible. Uh, so we'll get back to the uh, the plot here. So uh, Brian Cranston. The, the the main thing is how we're introduced to. 
Godzilla in this movie is Cranston is picked up on some kind of electromagnetic pulse and he believes that it's going to be a very big problem and he's trying to get an audience with somebody within the comp within the power plant um, and something happens at the plant and he needs his wife who is on a very similar level uh, that he he is I'm not exactly sure what his job is or what exactly they do oh he's an engineer I'm sorry yeah, he's, he's, he's a nuclear engineer. engineer and I'm assuming they both are and he's like Listen, there's some kind of leak down there, and he sends her down there for some reason. Um, but there's something that needs to happen, yeah. so they go down there. And while she's down there, shit hits the fan. Yeah, so when he first shows up at the power plant, he's being informed by the staff there that there are tremors happening. Mm-hmm. Um, zoo, can't can't zoo, possibly zoo, be an earthquake zoo. because they're too regular. There's a distinct pattern to it. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, as soon as he's there is when it starts to escalate yeah. and all, all hell breaks loose. And then there's like a reactor breach of some sort. And Cranston is all too aware that he sent his wife and her team down in there. So he uh, asked them to rig up the blast doors, that which will shield everyone from you know the radiation, uh, to manual. So he can run down there and close the shutter behind everyone who gets out. I'm going to say that there's no way in fucking hell... That anybody would let him do that. I don't that. think they would have let him do Not that. even a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to say a white dude in Japan asking for that. I'm like, absolutely not. No, I seriously doubt that that would have happened. There's just too much at stake. Unless he owns the nuclear power plant. Like, there's no fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, he runs down there. We get an intensely emotional sequence. It's powerful. Yeah. It's I mean, very powerful. All, like... A lot of praise to Cranston in particular in 2014 Godzilla. His his acting is he's trying. He's very much. Trying. Yeah, he's he's not phoning it in. Um, yeah, we get a really te- teary farewell. I think he's desperately trying to get away from AMC at that point. <laughs> <laughs> he's just trying to get off of TV. He's like, I gotta do movies. He's like, I can do other things. I can do other things. <laughs> I mean, he's he's a very funny guy. Malcolm in the Middle. He's hilarious. Oh, he's he's incredibly versatile. But that's always the the, the problem with finding that one thing is that people start asking you to just do that one thing. It's the Andy Kaufman thing where it's like, do Lotka. <laughs> do Lotka. Like, I can do other things. That Jim and Andy, that was something that Courtney Love did. She's like, can you do Lotka? Like, he just goes up and like, no. I'm like, he's not even Andy Andy Kaufman and he's just playing him and they yeah. were doing that. Yeah, um, and that's kind of what happened is like people started to forget that it's like, you know, he wasn't always Walter White. Like, he was on every sitcom in the 90s and was very funny i think he was on he was on seinfeld king of queens king of queens you know i haven't seen breaking bad i've just heard people talk about it so much that i i know enough about the show i'm like i don't even want to watch it now because you guys have just talked about it so much i know it's supposed to be very very good i've only seen the first season and it was very good i did watch the first season as well you know Maybe someday I'll go back. Well, maybe I'll go back. Same with John John Hamm with uh, Mad Men. I got through about three episodes of that show. I know it's supposed to be really good, but what has he done since Mad Men? Like he's been doing. I think he has a shitty agent or something because he he's been doing weird movies. I like John Hamm. Like he, everybody likes John Hamm. He, he has is, an entire blog dedicated to his package. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> yeah. everybody uh, likes John Hamm. Well, how, How's this package looking today? Cantankerous? Uh, <laughs> um, well, no, but I think that he's an actor. Like, there are certain actors that can play dicks. And I think that the best... I think the best dick actor is Jack Nicholson. Put him in a movie to be an asshole. He's going to be phenomenal at it. A Few Good Men, The Departed. Like, he's a vicious asshole. Like, 
I'm going to say whatever's on my mind and I don't give a fuck how you feel about it. John Hamm has that that kind of energy, especially in the town. I think he's great in the town. And he has like that, you're going to be trafficking cigarettes to avoid sexual enslavement. It's like, fuck, dude, that's fucking heavy. Like, <laughs> that one quote, I'm like, damn, he's, he's kind of scary. But he's not getting roles like that. Like, he's not he's not doing that. I think he has a shitty agent. He's funny, too. I do think that John Hamm is funny. Uh, no, because, like, right after Mad Men wrapped, he was doing that movie. I think it was about, like, an Indian baseball player. Oh, my God. What did you just like, say? Like, like <laughs> India, India. Like, I'm not joking. This was a movie that I, I don't think anyone saw. Nope. <laughs> but, you know, he's one of the most famous TV personalities in the world. Yeah. And then let's do the Indian baseball movie. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, yeah. Um, long story short, uh, the wife... Uh, she doesn't make it. How does Brian Cranston make it out of this? Because while this is ha- like the place is falling down, yep. and we see um, Junior at his uh, I, f- I wrote down his name. I Ford. Ford. Lieutenant Ford. They Ford. don't have a first name. He has, no, he has, yeah, he has two last names. He has Ford Brody. Ford and, I'm, Brody. and I'm almost certain that Brody has to be a nod to Jaws. Like, it has to be. Might be. But yeah, Ford, what the fuck? I don't you know. You named your son after a fucking car? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he's watching from his Japanese classroom, and this nuclear power plant oh, is... It, it implodes. It is <laughs> decimated. Like, yeah. it is gone. Like, the, the very next shot after we see... We get our te- tearful farewell between the husband and wife. Uh, yeah. The, the cooling tower of this thing just... Blah, just disintegrates. So, we... We're not. We haven't been introduced to Godzilla yet at but all. But there is a scene that we skipped that, that introduces us, not improper, but it does introduce the concept of the villain in the movie, the Muto. Um, so immediately after our opening credits, I believe we cut to the Philippines. Go ahead. And we get a scene in a in a mine, and we get a helicopter. We, it's very similar to the the helicopter ride to Jurassic Park, actually. Okay. It looked deep, it looked like it was filmed in Hawaii, even. Um, we get a helicopter ride, and uh, Ken Watanabe and the lady from uh, The Shape of Water get out of the helicopter, and the signage on the helicopter is marked Monarch. Oh, I thought you were going to say Engine. <laughs> I mean, it may as well have been. Um, and we even get like a greeting from a fellow Monarch staff member who's cased out the, the mine already. And then we come to a big-ass hole in the ground, like a mile-wide hole in the ground. And I guess there was a... A mine that collapsed in the Philippines. Oh, okay. And now so I remember. they sent Ken Watanabe, who is a Japanese scientist. I remember now. Who works for an organization called Monarch and his his English lady friend. Um, they're a team of scientists. That She's from with, The Shape of Water. Yeah. Okay. I forget her I name. I recognize She's her. very good though. Um, and then we go into this hole and we discover a gigantic skeleton, mm-hmm. uh, which we can presume is belongs to some sort of monster. And then uh, we discover two spores. One of which has been hatched, and one of which looks inert. I have my favorite line from the movie. What's that? This one looks broken, like something came out of it. <laughs> I love that. I'm like... That's pretty clumsy. That's pretty on the nose yeah, there, isn't it? That's, that's a little clunky. That's, that's not the best dialogue. But... Oh, something burst out of John Hurt's chest. Huh, what was it? <laughs> I don't know, but something looks like it burst out of his chest. Yeah, um, well... Like I, like I say sometimes, uh, you need to make movies up 
at this budget level, you need to make sure the Walmart people can follow along as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sometimes, you know, there's a little hand a little hand holding is warranted. I don't know about that. That's pushing it a little bit. We get on a high horse. You know, there was Seattle. some producer <laughs> who was watching a screening of this movie. and was like, the rubes need to understand what's like, happening. He's <laughs> like, the sheep won't understand that. Well, no, you need to. I'm not gonna say. I don't think it's for Walmart people. That's mean but uh i think it's for kids i think you need this, oh yeah because this is an odd like godzilla is something for kids like that's that's well, that's what that's, that's what the toho the original japanese production company still owns the rights to the character mm-hmm. is still making movies off of him they got wise to that in the 60s is that yes the 1954 movie was a straight up like yeah. monster drama but very shortly thereafter it's like huh monsters and kids go together like peanut butter and chocolate yeah like like, let's just go with that like let's just take away the pretense and just make this a fun movie (laughs) kids and monsters go together like kids and peanut butter and chocolate (laughs) (laughs) yeah good point (laughs) um so yeah yeah. um, we discover these two spores one of which something came out of yeah um and then one of which appears to be inert um and then we get this beautiful there's a lot of beautiful overhead like landscape shots in 2014 Godzilla. There are a lot of them. They're very gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and there's very clearly some something large broke out of this collapsed mine and went straight to the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it's presumed that that's what caused the Janjira problem. In fact, it's confirmed later. Um, so yeah, we go from the Philippines to Janjira, the power plant, mm-hmm. and then that happens in 1999. Yeah. Uh, which is the beginning of the plot basically which takes us to present day ford um brian cranston's son who watched his like watched that nuclear power plant crumble in his uh, classroom is played by aaron taylor johnson who i cannot stand uh Mm -hmm. it's between him and and emile hirsch (laughs) who i cannot stand more uh i think he's 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 beating him right now i I hated both of those kick-ass movies i can't stand this kid i hated savages oh my god that movie sucks you wasted Benicio del Toro. Um, he is playing Lieutenant Ford, who is a, a lieutenant in the Marine lieutenant Corps. Brody. Lieutenant Brody. He's got two last names, man. <laughs> he's a lieutenant in the Marines, um, and he's uh, Navy, I think. Marines. Na- Marines, really? Yeah, that's the. Oh, okay. that's their that's their uniform. Um, we have Marines on aircraft carriers, gotcha. so. But then being on the aircraft carrier well, then, is neither then here nor he there. then he doesn't know his own shit because I'm almost positive he uses navy at one point. Does he? I thought he was. Mer- when, yeah, when uh after Hawaii, um, when he catches up with that unit who's walking by him, uh-huh. he says Lieutenant Ford, Navy, U.S. Navy. Or oh, did you say U.S. Navy? I thought he was Marines because he had on the on the stuff. But I'm okay. I mean, I'm, he could have fucked the line. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't. This is he what, is he is like British. I mean. well, this is what I didn't like about this movie was how they handled the military stuff. I'm like, there's a few things. I'm like, okay, so they're not clear on what branch he's in because the digis he's wearing are Marine Corps digis. We the Navy have blue digis, same design but blue. Yeah. Um, he's wearing green. Uh, he comes off on the C-130. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just gets off there. I'm like, that means was he? C-130 is different than um, a C-2. Which is a or an E two, I think, is the the car was where we have actual passengers. Um, if we're saying that he came off of a off of an aircraft carrier, that plane wouldn't land on an aircraft carrier. Absolutely so he came not. From, he came from a military base. All and then he hasn't been seen in a while. I'm like, I think that he's in the Marines. 
because he also is air. He jumps out of a uh, out of a plane later. Yeah, it was like, a halo drop. We don't. They don't really do that. Yeah, I don't think a navy when I think halo drop. I mean, unless he's a navy seal, seal but he's but an EOD guy. Like, yeah, but they don't. As I'm saying, they don't. They don't say what he is exactly, which is why I thought it was kind of careless. Um, like, well, do you even know his what? even his utility in the story, where it's like. Apparently he's the Steven Seagal of military men. He has no strengths. That's what I'm saying. Like he has no, no specialty. Like yeah. he's just grunt. Like that's yeah, he's, what he's supposed to he's be. But he's a lieutenant. That, he's a grunt that can do anything. Apparently. Yeah. They, exactly. <laughs> that was. I'm like, no, no, he's jumping out of a fucking plane now. Like he's everywhere. And he knows archaic bomb mechanisms he's from like, from before his time. He's like Brad Pitt in World War Z. Like he's just like <laughs> take him over there now. Take him over there. He's gonna he's gonna yeah, fix this and whole thing. Bad shit will follow him wherever he goes, and nobody will catch wind of this. Pretty much. So, yeah. <laughs> So he's in San Francisco, and he's meeting his Olsen sister, wife, and his little shitheel kid. Yeah, funny funny casting there, because they were both in Age of Ultron together as really? brother and sister. No kidding. And this one, they're a sucking face. Yeah, they're a sucking <laughs> face. Um, that kid would have been in bed way earlier than he was oh, in the yeah. movie. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, so he gets a call. Do they even get to bone yet? Do I think are they stop mid-bone, or is it the next morning? Uh, they don't even get to boning. So he gets a call and is like, your dad's been arrested in Japan. So he's like, oh, I gotta go to Japan now. Uh, which is absolutely not. While he's on leave, you cannot leave the country while you're on leave. Not happening. But they go. He goes to, <laughs> he goes to, he goes to Japan and gets his dad. And apparently he was rooting around. I did like the Japanese dad with the goth son he's picking up. I yeah. thought that was pretty funny. Well, it, it's a very ham-fisted theme in the movie, fathers and sons. Mm-hmm. And that was one way of putting it out there we get it again later in hawaii with the little yeah. japanese boy and his no. and his family it's like, i wish my dad would come find me too so stupid. yeah um, <laughs> but he he goes to get his dad and his dad was um messing around on the bomb site and he got arrested i think for the second time he's already been in trouble once or twice yeah. um and they go back to brian Cranston's apartment and i like this i like this little scene because i like i like when somebody is obsessed about something and you can see it. Yeah. And no, the production design in Godzilla 2014 is very strong. Um, I like this. Uh, there's a picture of a bat doing sonar. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, huh, I uh, wonder if that's going to show up later. <laughs> uh, I have another one of those moments in the 98 Godzilla, yeah. the fish market. Oh, I wonder if that's uh, going to be important later. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of fish. <laughs> but basically, Cranston is explaining to his son that there's something, like, they're covering this up. And I predicted that something bad was going to happen. And I never got a chance to say what yeah, it was. I and picked up on a signal the day of that I'm hearing again now. And it's interesting. Um, Roland Emmerich did Independence Day as well. Yes, he did. Um, there's a few. There's a few um, few things that in both of these movies I'm going to bring up. Probably would we. Um, what was it? Not Roland Emmerich. Uh, Ninety-eight. He did. Uh, Roland Emmerich did 98, not 2014. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's a few things I noticed from Independence Day and uh, 98 Godzilla that I wanted to, I wanted well, to touch on when we get to it. definitely a lot of a lot of similar bases covered in both of those films. There's yeah. even a character actor that's in... Uh, <laughs> he's not even a character actor. He's almost like uh, like just a background, like mm-hmm. uh, almost an extra. But he's in both of those movies, I noticed, uh, watching this. Um, but yeah, so... He's explaining to him that he's kept, he's like this pulse is coming back now and it's gonna it's it's gonna be much stronger and it's gonna be catastrophic, and he gets a call and he basically convinces his son he's like hey we have to go back over here and find this stuff. Um, cut to ninety eight, uh, where we're introduced to the equivalent the scientist that's gonna help them. 
with us. At uh, Chernobyl. Yes, at Chernobyl. Um, so our, our lead character is introduced to us um, driving in the rain in, in Russia in Chernobyl. Yeah. Uh, he's singing singing in the rain. Yeah. And this is, a I think, a future Tony Award nominee or winner? He did pr- producers with, yeah. uh, um, uh, oh my God. Nathan Lane. Yeah, so he's he's singing, but he is not showing off his pipes if he has them because he never, does have them. I'm sure he does, but he is not. He's not trying here. He's. Uh, he's I think he's kind of like going over the top with. I his think singing. he's he's supposed to be a goofy, quirky yeah. scientist type. He even has the '90s hat, uh, Do, the Benny hat. Yeah, he's, <laughs> uh, he's singing. Um, he sings in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He does. He kind of shows off his pipes a little bit when he's in the shower. He does the do, uh, donkey shit. A little bit, but yeah. he's very young at the time. It's like, whatever. But yeah, he's singing, literally singing in the rain as he's driving. And uh, he pulls up to some dirt, and he hooks up a car battery to some prongs that he sticks in the soil and puts a current through it, and it causes some earthworms to come up out of the ground. That was delicious. Yeah, he's harvesting the worms, and then some G-men roll up behind him, one of whom is a... He's been in, he's been a military person if, in if every you need, movie. If you need a military commander of some sort in your film, you get this guy. He's he's a ginger yeah. guy in a suit. That, yeah. yeah, he's got the monkey butt hair. Yeah, he's been I know I He's name. been in all the Transformers movies. In the army now, he's the recruiter. Uh I've seen him he's always military. I think I, he has to be military. I even saw a digitized version of him in one of the battlefield games. You gotta be fucking kidding me. Oh, yeah, speaking of which, uh Gaga from Undisputed Two mm-hmm. is in the same game. No shit. <laughs> digitized, like digital yeah. Gaga. Yes, big dog. <laughs> Woof. <Rough. laughs> um so they're basically like, You're the earthworm guy, right? And you're, he's like You're yeah, coming with us. You're coming with us. Like, okay. So um Kevin Dunn, is that the dude's yeah. name? I like him. Um also from the Transformer movies. Yeah. Uh, Small Soldiers is where I mostly remembered him from. <laughs> but that, that's Michael Bay. Like, yeah. Roland Emmerich and Michael Bay, like, he's just, like, cheating on... Uh, he's cheating on Roland Emmerich like, and Michael he Bay. He poached Kevin Dunn! Motherfucker! Motherfucker! <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, they're basically... They don't explain anything to him. They're just like, uh, yeah, something happened over here. We need you to take a look at it. Uh, he stands in a big footprint. He's like, you're standing yeah. in your sample. Um, they don't really tell him what's going on. They're just like, uh, there might be nuclear traces of something. We need you to take a look at it. Yeah. Um, so they've picked something like Godzilla's already here, and they're trying to piece it together. Whereas in 2014, um, Cranston is... Trying like he's trying to figure out what's going to happen, and they're trying to figure out what. Yeah. So the the way these monsters are presented to us in 2014, um, it's not confirmed there even is a monster to mm-hmm. to the principal cast. Yeah. Um, we know it is because it's Godzilla. I mean, we've seen a skeleton and some spores, but yeah. other than that, you know, it's it's very unclear as to what's going on. Whereas 98 Godzilla. It's confirmed almost immediately, like within the first 10, 15 minutes. And this is very emotional for Brian Cranston because he picked up on this, and this is around the time that his wife died. Now it's coming back, so I think the obsession is, is kicking in even more, and he's that's why he keeps going back and getting in trouble. Well, yeah, the emotional tone of these movies is radically different, whereas right. 2014 is like played to the hilt serious, whereas 98 it makes no attempt to do that. No. And when it does, it's embarrassing. I, don't, I can't even think of a serious part in that movie. I uh, we'll talk about the score at some point, but okay. that, that's like one of the biggest problems I have with the movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, ninety eight Godzilla. Uh, 
we get introduced to the monster piecemeal. So mm-hmm. the first time we get any interaction with it, it's attacking the fishing boat. Yeah, attacks the fishing boat. And then uh, this is where that character actor in 98, who's also in Independence Day. Remember when um, Russell does the wrong field? He's at that diner just like, I had too much to drink. And those guys come in and start heckling him. Yeah. There's one scene, I always remember this as a kid, there's a guy who was drinking coffee and he it drool like drips out of his mouth onto the table. He's just a gross looking redneck. Uh-huh. He's the captain on the ship that gets caught on the line. Oh, and he's okay. in that uh, as well. Very cool. Um, there's another guy too. I can't think of who he was, but that was one. I'm like, that's that that gross dude from, uh, from Independence Day. Um, <laughs> his claim to fame. They he also looks like the main character from Dos Boot. Remember the main guy? Yeah. Uh, he looks like him, especially in that shot. Um, but yeah, Godzilla. Basically, these three fishing boat guys are. That comes a little later. Well, this is the this is that was part of the buildup yeah. of the you were saying it's piece pieced together like yeah. little things. Um, yeah, the footprint is the next big piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Um, where Matthew Broderick gets this really sloppy sequence where um, he's asking, he keeps demanding to know where his where his work is, where, like what is it you want me oh, to yeah, examine? Oh yeah, they took all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, they put him in this hole in the ground, and then we get a helicopter shot of oh my god, I'm standing in a footprint, yeah. and then. Matthew Broderick, like, I don't know if it's his fault or if it's the script's fault, but, like, so many of his supposedly humorous moments in the movie are him just bold-faced just saying what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like He uh, is literally just saying what's He's happening. just saying what's happening. Like, And it's supposed to be funny, but it's just not. Or it's like, a footprint. I was standing in a footprint. It's yeah. like, woo! <laughs> Thanks for spelling that out to me, Matthew Broderick. Um. But... Yeah, so that's our first glimpse of the scale of this creature. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit later, we get introduced to um, a really nice miniature set, actually. It's mm-hmm. a good miniature composite of a... Uh, I think it's supposed to be the same tanker ship, or the same fishing boat. Oh, when he goes to... was where Jean Renault comes in? Yeah, so earlier in the movie, we get introduced to Jean Renault, but we'll backtrack. We'll backpedal that in just a sec but yeah. yeah we get this nice miniature shot it's a composite of a model ship that's been torn to shreds that's washed up on the beach on on a i forget if it's i think it's like panama or something but um sure anyway uh we get to see like a whole bunch of cans of tuna spread mm-hmm. out on the floor i noticed one of them is korean and one of them's bumblebee tuna. i saw bumblebee because you I have saw to... bumblebee tuna oh do you... no, no no michael bay did transformers i was like is that uh like an easter egg like i'm gonna do the train oh maybe maybe they were talking to roland emmerich about doing the transformer movies and he was like if you do well with this we're gonna give you the transformer movies and then he's they're like now we're gonna give it to michael bay i wouldn't be surprised i mean because they they do big like the big blockbuster disaster movies well um, but yeah, a couple of scenes before that, though, we're introduced to Jean Renault, and he and his French buddies are all interviewing the sole survivor of the Japanese fishing crew. I don't know how the fuck he survived, but okay. Sure, yeah. Um, and then he does this thing where they ask him, like, what did you see? And then he decides to pull out a lighter and wave it in front of his eyes, and yeah. somehow that gets him talking. Yeah. Um, he asks him in English, by the way. Yeah, and he like, responds, what did you see, old man? And he responds just by muttering, Gojira! Gojira. Is he saying Gojira or Godzilla? That's the thing. Um, both words are complete bullshit. Uh, <laughs> so um, Gojira has no meaning in Japanese. Gotcha. It's not a Japanese word. It's a, I think the phrase is portmanteau of uh, the word gorilla and Japanese word for whale, which is Kujira. And they picked it because it was like just a scary sounding word. Gotcha. And it has no meaning. So the 
this man is saying gibberish. <laughs> I don't, so he is well and truly crazy, or at least we're... I mean, I'm guessing it's supposed to be for the Walmart people. It's like, oh, that's the monster's name, or it means something special in Japanese. It's like, no, it's just complete gibberish. But well, Harry, well, later they even allude to that. They're like, Harry Shearer says Godzilla, and she's like, it's Gojira. It's like, you're correcting him on gibberish. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? It means nothing! <laughs> it means nothing! Both words mean nothing! Um, so... Back to 2014, um, Brian Cranston and his son, um, they are, they managed to make it to the house and he get, he's wanting to get his, uh, his data. He's wanting to get his, uh, stuff that he had. His floppy disks. Perfectly preserved floppy disks, by the way. Um, and they, he gets it, the dumb action figure, which was, it, it serves no purpose uh, other than that he's a Marine or in the military now, and he had a toy of a G.I. It looks like a little G.I. Joe. And then he gives it to that kid later. There's another Easter egg in there, too. Um, one of the... Uh, there's, like, a terrarium in mm. their in their old house that has, like, a, a faded sticker on it that says Mothra. Oh. <laughs> gotcha. It's stupid, but it's something I noticed this time when I watched it. Um, but, yeah, so they... They oh, get caught. They get caught. They get taken to... I guess we're the, po- the back to the power plant. Yeah. No, uh, uh, we even see the old sign. It's overgrown now, but it's still there. They get taken directly back to the power plant. And uh, what's his face? Um, Ken Watanabe? Ken Watanabe. Uh, Dr. Sirizawa. 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 That's a nod to the original Godzilla movie. I had a feeling. Um, it's the same doctor's name. Um, so they tell him like hey we've got this guy and he says he used to work here so he's like okay fine um and this is where Cranston is having his white guy meltdown oh yeah and uh he is basically yelling and explaining like what's happening and uh Ken I'm just gonna call him Ken um, <laughs> Ken Doc, both, Doc, Dr. Ken <laughs> Dr. Ken cause they're both of his last names are I have to think about it too long to pronounce it Ken works Ken, uh, Dr. Ken is like, oh, he's on to something. Like, um, uh, he he gives him asylum, basically, and this is where the pulses start picking up. He's like, he's, the pulses happen, and now shit's happening. Yeah, uh, this is where we get introduced. Um, is it Mothra? Improper. No, it's a completely original creature. Oh, um, okay. We get introduced improper to the spore. Or at least something, yeah. Something whatever came out of the spore has now taken up residence at the power plant, mm-hmm. and it looks like something out of a background from Earthworm Jim. <laughs> okay. Um, it looks like a big hook covered in like orange red lights, mm-hmm. and it's clearly organic, and it's sprung up around the power plant, and they have a hundred people surveying this thing and monitoring its every move. A bunch of cranes, a lot of wires, because yeah. um, they're basically like just standing. They have enough stuff that where they can like look over and kind of study this thing or whatever. Yeah, and this thing is pulsing every once in a while, and there's verb, there's dialogue exchange suggesting that it's intensifying. Um, and then it intensifies. Yeah, and then it it blows its top, and we get introduced to Muto. It's like something. It reminds me of the creature... Massive from... Unknown Terrestrial Organism, I think, is the acronym. <sighs> Cloverfield. Reminds me of the Cloverfield a little bit. A little bit. Um, which I think... I'd heard that that's supposed to be kind of based off Cthulhu. 
the Cloverfield. Um, not directly, but it was supposed to be like that was kind of the inspiration for the creature. Um, that's an Easter egg for a future discussion. There's a lot of Easter eggs in that movie, actually, because supposedly the concept of its behavior uh, was that it was supposed to be a juvenile, and it was terrified. It wasn't. Oh. It wasn't angry. It wasn't killing or attacking people because it was upset or hunting it was a child that just arrived in a city with lights and little ant things running around aka people yeah and it was freaking out gotcha um so yeah uh, it busts out and it's kind of on the loose now like oh it gets out and then it yeah it's a flaps it's, out of there. it's kind of like built like an insect um it's the shape of its head like the construction of its head um reminds me of gauss from gamera because mm-hmm. it has that like flat like like geometric shape to it it does yeah um and it's kind of cute in the way that it's designed because it, it does seem plausible as a man in a suit design so it's intricate but it's not too intricate and it is vaguely human shaped mm-hmm. so you could totally see them building a suit very easily in the shape but yeah it stomps around it kills a lot of people um Brian Cranston breaks out of his cell because this thing emits an electromagnetic pulse, and his door, uh, the, the off the uh, broom closet that he's locked in, has an electronic lock. Yeah. And as a safety mechanism, it, it unlocks when the power goes out. And he and he comes out there. Uh, his son Ford, Mr. Aaron Taylor Johnson, is locked in a truck, and uh, they both escape from their respective holdings just in time to watch uh, Brian Cranston get his ass whipped by the yep. muto. Um, he gets flung off a bridge, I think. Uh, he's it's like scaffolding. Or yeah, something. Uh, he doesn't die right there, but which he, he should have. He should have. He really I thought should've. he was dead from there. Like, oh, damn, that was okay. really stupid. Yeah, they, that was really stupid. They brought him back to be like, oh, go back to your family or whatever. And then he dies off screen. He, di- he no, he dies on screen. He's in the helicopter. He's just that's the last thing. No. He's, he dies later. He dies on the carrier. Jesus. Yeah, it was stupid because there's a there's uh. an exchange of dialogue. On the carrier between Dr. Ken and his lady friend. Mm-hmm. And she oh, says, yeah, she's like, she go says, get him, yeah. She says, Dr. Brody just died. Yeah, that's right. You're right. It was so stupid. I, <laughs> I don't know why they did it that way. They should have just had him die on the site. So, up until this point, we've only been introduced to the villain of the movie. Godzilla's um, still completely absent. So, let's go back to 1998. Yeah. <laughs> that was Little Biscuit. Um, <laughs> little Biscuit. Um... Wait, what's more 98? I was trying to say uh, 1998. Corn? I was going to say semi-charm kind of life, baby. Um, or uh, 90s joke there. And uh, <laughs> we get back there, and uh, we still haven't been introduced to Godzilla here. Uh, this is where I was talking about the character actor from Independence Day. The boats get pulled down. Yeah, so we get, I think, two or three fishing boats pulled down this time. So this is interesting. So he starts off clearly off the coast of Japan. That's from the coast of Japan. In the Pacific. So he's coming to America, and now we have Americans, but he's coming in... It doesn't and he make arrives, sense. he arrives in the Atlantic. He arrives in the Atlantic. Yeah. Geography. This, this is all supposed to happen in rapid succession. Too. Did they say where the fishing vessel was? I mean, those, that's a Japanese fishing vessel, a cannery. I, I wouldn't think it would be in the Atlantic. <laughs> I don't think it'd be in the Atlantic. Um, well, yeah, so... He's on his way over. Yeah. And so yeah, the the reason why we have this second fishing boat sequence is to point out that oh, he's making a beeline for New York. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite scene of the movie is I think it's the only really good scene of the Godzilla ninety eight 
is where he's actually coming to the harbor and this is where we have the old man fishing and we see on the like he gets something he catches something and this is where Godzilla is coming up out of the water and coming towards I think it's cool it's eerie the way he's coming in like that um do you remember the promotion for this movie at all I do not okay because that that was actually that played a major part in my disappointment of this movie when I originally saw it in the theater. They showed everything in the marketing. No, actually, they showed nothing. Oh. It's very, very clever marketing. Very clever. Um, you you do not see movies marketed in this fashion anymore, because uh, nowadays uh, trailer trailer companies like just blow their wad. Mm-hmm. Like they just throw everything out there. Where it's like um, even even the Dark Knight, which had one of the best modern marketing campaigns I can recall. Yeah. Um, one of the coolest things they did in those trailers was um, they framed the uh, semi-truck flip. Okay. Um, from, you know, like two-thirds of the way into the movie as the complete climax of the movie. It felt like that was going to be the finale of the movie. But it's not at all. But the way they the way they assembled the trailer, it gave the sense that, oh, wow, that's probably going to be for the last act of the film. Um but yeah, the the promotion for Godzilla, if I remember right, like the earliest teasers for it, um, the earliest I remember was a, uh, it's a shot of a museum and they had a skeleton of a T Rex. And remember, this is nineteen ninety seven, so the lost no no promotion for it. oh promotion yes um so this was after Jurassic Park and maybe the Lost World also because I think that was ninety seven I believe the Lost World was ninety seven yeah. Uh, and then from above, we get a giant foot stepping on the T Rex skeleton, and then just Godzilla. Oh, and so it's like I remember fuck you, Jurassic Park. I think I remember that. Yeah, and it was brilliant marketing because it's like, oh fuck you, we got a bigger dinosaur. And then after that, all of the trailers were just shots of Godzilla's foot and his dorsal fins, never of his face, up until the final trailers of the movie. They never once showed his face, and that was very clever, very effective because it's, it's enticing, it's alluring. Well, the 2014 Godzilla looks more like the original Godzilla. The Godzilla in 98 is a completely different... Completely different beast. Um, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. Uh, you're not going to like it. <laughs> I, I, I can appreciate what Godzilla 98 was trying to do, and that they, they have a Godzilla design that's based off of what would, be, what would have logically happened if it was nuclear radiation made these giant iguanas basically and that's what the the character the creature design in 98 is it's a giant iguana and it's moving like you can even it shows the shot of the iguana underwater swimming i don't know if you've seen photos of a marine iguana that's they have flat heads that's what this is supposed to be yeah they have flat heads and they do live in like i think galapagos or french polynesia um they're on the new they're on the new planet earth uh they they and they they eat algae yeah, they eat, they eat algae. They're good at. Uh, they're really good at swimming, and that's the big thing. Yeah. And that's what that's what would make sense yeah, for this his, creature. The animations for his swimming are very clearly modeled after that. Very um, much. What what does not work at all is the fact that he's bipedal, and iguanas are yeah, quadrupeds. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the point I was trying to make about the promotion, though, is that um, I mean, there's a lot of points sandwiched in there, but. Uh, that shot of the wave coming towards the dock mm-hmm. and you know chasing the old man that was actually one of the teaser trailers i did not know that That just that scene oh just that scene without any context so that's fucked up because that was the, really effective that's a that's a really i really like that but scene. imagine you you're a kid and you just saw that scene you like, want to see what comes next fuck yeah, yeah. dude 
it was it's a good scene I mean, well, it has that independence day tongue-in-cheek kind of vibe to it because like some of the banter between the old man and his his apparently homeless buddies who yeah. live on the dock like they're, they're teased, him. yeah they're heckling him about his fishing habit and stuff and even like the way the wave is chasing him it's like he is so fucking He's dead so fucking but dead. both of these movies do something very clever and this is very important to a giant monster movie uh in that they cut away from the actual death mm-hmm. so death is implied like that man is dead, I think he's dead yeah. <laughs> he did not survive that but both of these movies both 98 and 2014 do the thing where it's implied but because we didn't see it on screen it's forgivable mm-hmm. because they're giant monsters yeah. even the good ones are gonna accidentally gonna kill, kill people, people. like yeah. even without meaning to you're just too big yeah and, and the world's not meant to accommodate that it's like having Andre the Giant in your house. Like something's gonna get broken. Oh yeah, he's, he's gonna, gonna break gonna your chair. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, he's gonna you know he's gonna twist the handles off your sink. He's gonna yeah. smash your furniture. <laughs> it's just gonna happen. He's gonna you know? break your chair. Yeah, he probably has to. He probably had to travel with his own chair. Yeah. Long story short, just don't invite him in. Don't invite him in. He's just have something. have the party out on the front lawn or something. Yeah. <laughs> he was just a big dude, not even a giant monster. Yeah, he's gonna. Oh man, he's um, gonna destroy your toilet. <laughs> so you, you mentioned you mentioned Lost World to or the Lost World Jurassic Park. Something um, has survived. Okay, real quick, this episode is going to be long. There's no way it's not going to be long. Um, but you mentioned The Lost World, and something that those two movies have in common, uh, 98 and uh, The Lost World have in common, is there's a lot of rain. And mm. I think that's why I still enjoy watching these two movies. Um, I, I still enjoy watching The Lost World. And I do too. I, and I like watching this, and I think it's because it's a good rainy day movie, because it's just raining throughout the, and the, throughout both um more than 98 Godzilla 98 like it's raining the entire time um yeah um but I don't know there's something cozy about it and there's something cozy because I watched I remember I watched the Lost World Jurassic Park on a rainy day and I don't know why there's something that maybe it's like a a nostalgia it's just kind of cozy for me to watch it it's not a good they're neither one of them are good movies I mean the Lost World some people look back on it and shit on it yeah Um, I happen to really like it. I still like it. It's it's a lot of fun if you turn your brain off, especially especially that last act. Speaking of Godzilla, yeah. Um, but imagine again being in my shoes, being ten and eleven years old. I saw both of these movies in the theater on my fucking birthday. I saw this in '98 in the theater. I do believe. Yeah, I saw both of these movies as like a birthday gift, basically. Mm. Um, the Lost World, I was very happy with. Oh yeah. And then one year later, I get this. I'd like to see the Lost World in theaters again. If it co- oh, it's good fun. If it play, I need to see what's on Central Cinema one. That a uh, that a uh, trailer sequence, like literal trailer. Yeah. Um, it's very intense for a ten year old. Yeah. <laughs> um, but ninety uh, eight Godzilla. Uh, I've said it many many times. Only movie my mother has ever apologized to me after viewing. <laughs> Bicentennial Man. My mom. <laughs> yeah. My mom we all have one. But one. Yeah. My, my mom. I distinctly recall leaving the theater and she's like, we're I'm walking out to the car so and she said, "I'm so sorry." My mom. I, I I'm surprised she didn't pull us from it. Like we sat through the whole thing. She's like, "That was awful." What was that? <laughs> yeah. She's like, "That was terrible." It was. God, the movie's terrible. And it was advertised as a fucking comedy. <laughs> My God, it's an android who wants to die. That's one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh yeah, and Oliver Platt. <laughs> is he in that? Yeah. Oh man, I bet he's wasted in that movie. He is. I kind of want to see his scenes now. I think I think the funniest part he had was when somebody tells him he has a fat head. He does have a big head. He does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're so godzilla so yeah we get the wave and the, do you want to carry us through that sequence the the wave happens and now we're going to the fish market um which is going to come up later uh 
There is a headphones gag in this movie, as well as in The Day After Tomorrow, directed by oh Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich. He does the headphones gag where uh, these are the foam. They, they, these aren't even the ones that go in your ears. These are not Beats by Dre. These are the little styrofoam shitty ones that just kind of rest over your head and you can hear everything else that's going on. Uh, yeah, that guy doesn't doesn't hear him coming. And day after tomorrow, same thing. He likes that gag, I guess. Um, he, he destroys. A, he has a campy sense of humor. When he's actually introduced, we see his spine come up, and he's got a ship. He's got a couple of boats on there. Yeah, he like steps over the freeway. Um, there's some. I like the go, jumping. I like the stepping over the freeway shot because you still you're like, oh, this is gonna be a cool reveal, and then when you actually see him, it's. Yeah, um, they hold off on the reveal for as long as they can in '98. In fact, I think that that entire introductory sequence, um, I don't think you ever see him. No, you only see him when Animal Hank Azaria gets the footage of him. Even then, that's just the lower jaw. It's yeah, you you see him, but it's so wonky. I don't think we actually see his face until he comes out to eat the fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's that's like another twenty minutes later. Yeah, well, because we we get into the middle section, so, so. the older Godzilla movie, like, you see the monster, you know what it is, and then they're trying to figure out what to do with it. This, they're still trying to figure out what it is. They're like, we don't know what... Well, that's the thing about Terror of Mechagodzilla, is that it takes place in a world where monsters are understood to exist. Mm-hmm. So none of the characters are surprised. It's just like, oh, it's another one, fuck. <laughs> Whereas this movie, Godzilla 98 in particular... No one is prepared for this. No, no one has any anything to work from, and as far as like understanding what this creature is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he stomps up to the the fish market. Uh, he picks up a truck in his mouth and starts swinging it around like a T Rex swinging a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get a neat shot where uh, Mayor Ebert, uh, played by a I know the juice. <laughs> yeah, guy from uh, guy from uh, Blank, Blank Check. Check. Yeah, <laughs> is uh, delivering a speech in the rain, and then we get a neat overhead shot of a whole bunch of New Yorkers with black umbrellas. I was waiting for the uh, waiting for the Penguins people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I played this stinking city like a heart from hell. I, there's a if you're ever in Seattle, the Capitol Hill, there is um, I believe it's a lady. She likes to skip. That's how she exercises. She likes to skip. And she wears a joker or jester. She wears a jester costume. And she skips through the town smiling. And I've seen her several times, but there was one particular time. It was, I think it was the first time I saw her. I would just watch her go by. I'm like, is the fucking penguin coming? Like, <laughs> I'm like, it's like, did anybody know something? Like, is, is it's like, Chester- if anybody has a baby... Like, please hold it. Please, please hold on to it very tightly. Yeah, the, the penguins. There aren't be. any open manholes around here, right? <laughs> um, like, I'm like, do mares do this? I don't know. I'm not, I've never been in New York. Uh, like, do mares do this? Just have like. It's, it seemed very cartoonish just to have a random press conference in the rain. I was thinking Dick Tracy when Big Boy gets out of. Uh, or even the first more Batman, uh, Batman '89. Yeah. On the steps. Uh, Harvey Dent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then we get a neat shot of some buildings crumbling. We get Ooh. a really, really stupid gag of uh, Harry Shearer, one of the voice actors from yeah. The Simpsons, also Hank Azaria, another yeah. voice actor from The Simpsons. Also the lady, the the secretary, that's mm-hmm. the voice of Bart. I don't know what her name yeah. is. Um, she just we, died recently. We get a shot of uh, 
Harry Shearer facing the wrong direction as Godzilla walks by him and he's asking about like, oh, we need to get this data for a story. And your story just walked by behind you. And then he turns around just in time to miss Godzilla. It's really stupid. You you brought up marketing um, and like advertising for the film. Wasn't a big thing for Jurassic Park because I was four when it was... (laughs) when it came out yeah uh did they use the the glass the glass in the in the jeep bouncing and vibrating i'm almost positive yeah that would be something so to scale the t-rex is about the calf of godzilla i would say maybe about the calf and that's big enough to like shake a car like it's a big piece of meat Mm mm-hmm Godzilla just walking would this place would be like they do a good job with that they make all the cars um, during like as he's walking by the mirrors area Mm -hmm. um, all the cars are jumping but yeah and car alarms are going off and stuff so as he's walking by the window you would feel oh yeah Yeah, Harry Shearer would have been shaking around that building that's I mean I, I get that you need to make it you need to have a gag there for whatever reason and Maybe maybe uh, Hank is there. He's like, I'll do the movie, but Harry Shearer's got to be in it. Yeah, Harry <laughs> it's like, like, my boy Harry's got to be here. Harry Shearer's like, I'll be in it, but I need uh, the voice of Bart Simpson to be in here, too. Like, well, fuck, now we have to write a part for her? Okay, she's funny. Let's see what we can do. Um, I, I thought of it as almost like a, a cheap way to get not necessarily, like, recognizable talent, but just, like, people in there. Because it's very clear that almost all the budget went towards the special effects. Because uh, the actors in this movie, none of them are big names. Jean Reno was internationally very popular at the time, but not so much in the U.S. Uh, I think that I, I think probably quite a bit of money might have went to Puff Daddy because he's a very big part of this movie. I would a very big part of this film, and that he did a song for this and a music video for this, and his song is featured in the film, which yeah, is something he used subway. to do. Yeah, yeah. and that, I remember I remember that more than I remember the movie. Cause I had that, I had that soundtrack. <laughs> I had that Godzilla soundtrack. A lot of people did actually. I remember seeing it in my friends' like homes. It had a really good Green Day song on there. I think it's uh, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's featured in the film at all. I don't I, remember hearing it. Um, it's a good song. It was back back in the day when music inspired by it was a selling point for a CD. Oh, I want that, the Crow soundtrack, and the Batman Forever soundtrack. Oh, shit. <laughs> on CD. I don't want it on like, Spotify. I want it to sound like utter crap. I want to not be able to pick... I want to be able to have to go through each song. Maybe on cassette. I need it's it on like, cassette. I want to go for a run with my Walkman, and I want to skip I want every to skip. 10 seconds. <sighs> I used to run with my Walkman. Everybody did. God damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we are introduced to Godzilla. He's walking around town. Um, we shoot forward to 2014 yeah um we still haven't been introduced to him we're still following the villain uh which his name is muto i just i was calling it mothra the whole time i know that probably pissed you off it might no. <laughs> well i mean this this new one that's gonna come out is mothra. gonna have mothra proper yeah so. i know you're just rolling your eyes your brother your brother and i are really excited about it i'm the only one for some reason i think it's gonna be fun kong skull island was a lot of fun and i mean i don't really like i don't like king kong movies but i had a lot of fun with that <laughs> I like the I like the monster at the end of it, um, but yeah. So he they're picking up um, radiation or something along those lines. They're they're trying to track him, and well, what the way Godzilla is introduced to the story proper in 2014 is uh, right after Brian Cranston makes his exit. Mm-hmm. So he dies, like we said, off screen um, on the carrier, and now Ford is on the carrier mm-hmm. because uh, in the aftermath of the Janjira 
like incident where the Muto escaped. Um, a Navy officer comes up to Ken, Doctor Ken, mm-hmm. and tells him, "Hey, uh, we're in charge. We're in operational control now because yeah. we have we have a problem. <laughs> yeah, and it's flying. <laughs> um, yeah. So they, they recruit Doctor Ken and they say, "You're coming onto the carrier with us." And Doctor Ken, he asks Doctor Ken, um, "Who do you need? Who do you need?" And Doctor Ken points to Ford and Cranston. Yeah, uh, because he overheard Cranston rambling about things that he knew about the signals and about electromagnetic pulses things that he hadn't himself considered and known about they have his data they notice that the pulses they're identical like it's yeah. exactly so the same thing it's clear that one of or both of these two people know something that he doesn't and yeah. it would probably be helpful being as we have a literal monster on the loose now so at this point cranston just died so dr ken i guess makes an executive decision and decides to just get Ford in on the story. Mm-hmm. So he takes him into a room on the carrier and we have a gigantic exposition dump where yeah. he has a slideshow PowerPoint and everything yeah. like prepared for him. And he, he basically straight, straight up tells him there's a creature out there. We call him Godzilla and we've tried to kill him with H bombs. It doesn't work. I think it just made him stronger. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we just pissed him off. Uh, hopefully he's cooled down after like 50 years. <laughs> but yeah, so he basically, he doesn't really tell him anything about Muto because he, he doesn't know anything about it either. Even no. though apparently he's been staring at this thing since 1999. He looks like he's about to come. Like he's just like staring at him like, oh fuck. Yeah, but he's been doing this since 1999 and apparently he learned nothing in that time. Nothing. nothing. He learned <laughs> not a thing. Nothing. They've fact, been staring at this thing for... How many years has that been? 15 years? Yeah. 15, 15 years. years. Not a fucking thing. 15 years and Brian Cranston, who has not even had access to the site. He knows everything. Knows, knows way more than he does. <laughs> That's what I thought was so weird. I'm like, how have they not pieced this together? How did they not figure this yeah. out? Well, but they, he was the only one that was onto it back in the day. They hand wave it away and say, like, Ford actually asked them, like, so why didn't you kill this thing because it's just been sitting there for 15 years and they say oh well it was latched on to the reactor and we're afraid of trying to kill it because it might breach the reactor and you know kill millions of people which you know that makes sense that's that makes some sense but yeah basically he is ford is straight up told there is a thing called godzilla we've known about him for 50 years trailer shot 60 years trailer shot you definitely get godzilla going underneath the boat i remember that was something from the trailer like yeah uh what how does Godzilla come out? Is that when they're just like, oh, that thing, remember we went through that hole? That was it. Like, I don't remember. Um, it's my understanding that Godzilla has just been in the Pacific, just cruising around for 50, 60 years. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, um, actually, there's some shenanigans involving a sub. Um, so they do mention that the way Godzilla became active, or the way these creatures became active again, involved uh, venturing into the depths. Because mm-hmm. they said... Um, and this is very, very crucial to this 2014 movie. And this is one of the biggest differences between this movie and any other that's come before it. Mm-hmm. So Godzilla in uh, 1954. Um, it's my understanding that he was some sort of modern-day dinosaur, some sort of mutation, of, or some ancient creature that has existed mm-hmm. that gets mutated by H-bombs. Yeah. Um, he's a product of mankind. He is an aberration. He's not something that's meant to exist in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godzilla 1998, same deal. 
And that's what Matthew Broderick is saying about the worms. He's saying that the Chernobyl worms is that these worms are getting bigger and it's because of us. Like this is a new species. This is a new species that's caused by man-made. Uh, yes, yeah, I mean that's like inherently the message behind Godzilla is yes. that you don't fuck with nature, otherwise you get Godzilla. Otherwise you get bit. Yeah. yeah. Godzilla 2014, though, it's explained during this exposition dump that he existed in nature. In ancient times, uh, they I think they mentioned that like in in a time when the surface of the Earth was far more radioactive than it is today, and they lived off of this radiation. So he, a, so he's a product of natural radiation on on Earth. He's a, he is a creature that existed before humans. That's how Lovecraft. That's that's how his creatures are. Is like they're either otherworldly or like in the case of Cthulhu, um, the old gods. Okay. Like these were giant monsters that we would consider gods. Um, well, that's beyond what, our understanding. Yeah. Um, and yeah, in Godzilla's case, it's explained in 2014 that he is just a thing that existed that we don't know how to deal with. But the reason why we haven't seen him is because uh, the radiation levels on the surface of the Earth dwindled. And so he was out of a food source. So I guess him and the other monsters of which we're told there are others. We don't see them. Uh, they went deep down into the ocean. And um, it's not nuclear bomb testing that wakes them up. It's like deep water ventures or something. So question. Um, as, as, I mean, global warming has been on the radar for a while now. And I would say that in 2014 it was really big. Oh, yeah. Um, do you think that this is they're actually rewriting this as opposed to saying that this is a man-made um, creature like we nuclear bombs made it this way as in instead of they're promoting nuclear energy almost as opposed to like doing the bombs and you're making this giant iguana from the, doing the bombs <laughs> as opposed to like no 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 there's a way to har- uh, harness nuclear energy in a positive way do you think that maybe the 2014 is like no, no, he was he he was just eating the natural radiation that was here, and now I I don't think it's necessarily promoting, but I do feel that it's a it's a, a layer that's been removed from the equation that I think hurts it a little bit. Okay, because with Godzilla, there's always that like there's that like double-edged sword component to it because mm-hmm. like he exists because of us, and therefore we're responsible for him, but we have no control over him. Whereas 2014 Godzilla, it's like, we don't have that connection to him. He's just a thing that exists whether we whether we existed or not. Well, I think in doing so, by removing that, I think that in light of global warming, we're trying to, um, trying to find new ways to fuel mm-hmm. and nuclear energy. I think these are nuclear-powered um, um, ships, like the, <laughs> like the aircraft carrier. And maybe they're just trying not to generate... Like, Maybe not generate like something bad about nuclear energy. Like, well, no, we want to try nuclear. People are like, oh no, no nuclear energy. That's bad. That's how you get Godzillas. Yeah, is by using nuclear power. No, there, there definitely was and is a cultural stigma against nuclear energy, especially Japan. They don't even allow nuclear arms to be trafficked through their country. Okay. Um, because obvious reasons they're the only country to ever experience nuclear attack. I'm just wondering if the reason why they got away from that was just the zeitgeist, like. The, the, the could time. could be, but there's a major theme in Godzilla 2014 and in Kong Skull Island that uh, is actually really fascinating to see in a modern blockbuster film. Uh, it's it's kind of shocking, actually. It's it's hard to believe that they snuck it in there. Well, not even snuck. It's like it's bold faced. It's right in front of you. Um, mm. 
the theme being uh, humanity doesn't matter um, because the entire the entirety of the plot of Godzilla 2014 we get Ford we get Cranston we get Dr. Ken we get the guys on the carrier we mm-hmm. get all these human faces to latch on to but what actually happens in the grand scheme of things is entirely up to Godzilla mm-hmm. like the arrival of the Muto independent of humans Oh yeah. Uh, what the Muto is trying to do reproduce entirely independent of humans what ultimately happens to the Muto not resolved by humans <laughs> so the idea is we are as ants to these monsters and we're kind of like we have all these human faces faces to latch onto, and we see their struggles we see their emotion the emotional damage they accrue throughout the story but at the end of the day their contributions to what happens in the grand scheme of things is nothing mm. they they don't even succeed in really hurting the muto and when it comes to the whole resolution of the plot it's all up to godzilla no, <laughs> like no. if he didn't show up the muto would still be around and in kong skull island we get that too where we we have these soldier characters running around fighting these giant monsters and then at the end of the day though if king kong wasn't there to fight the skinwalkers or whatever Mm -hmm. um the humans all would have died and at the end of the day it would just been an empty island filled with monsters um i'm gonna move forward a little bit on 2014 so you mentioned earlier like i think they were filming something in hawaii it's yeah absolutely they're in hawaii oh Um, yeah no they filmed in waikiki Thank you. Yeah. So I was uh, I've been to Waikiki a couple times, and I remember there was a certain shot. Um, so uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it not Mothra because uh, <laughs> I, I can't think of what his name is. Is gobbling up um, nuclear um, yeah. nuclear bombs. Really um, neat shot where there's yeah. a nuclear a Russian nuclear sub in the tree line. In it's cool. Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty neat because you don't know he's fucking there. Like that—that yeah. that was pretty neat. Um, a giant, gigantic thing hidden in plain sight because it's night. <laughs> so they see him. They start shooting at him. Um, he's a goddamn monster. So it's ineffective. Also, he has EMP. So when they try to bring jets in, yeah, yeah, that's a really neat effect. Like and that. also, it's a really clever uh, plot device because it explains away um, so many of the things that the military would try to do to this thing. It's mm. like. Oh, we can't even get close to this thing with any electrical instruments. It just goes out. We can't. We can't. Yeah. So jets. They try to attack it with jets. That thing goes immediately. That thing. I've never seen a plane crash. (laughs) Predator. The predator could have taken a note from that. Like that's how you crash. That's how you crash a fucking ship. (laughs) Uh, But I. I put Waikiki. Because I've been on that street that they shot this on. Yeah. I'm like, I know that that's a hotel, and that's the ABC store right right across the street. Because I remember, because that was the first time I had seen an ABC store. I'm like, what are I ABC think the stores? the beach too was also there. I was to say, it's from one of the hotels, I think. It was like being transported back real quick. Oh, like, yeah. I know exactly. No, where it, that's it, at. it was kind of neat seeing that. Um, there was another. I have a couple of other notes here. Um, since when does the U.S. Armed Forces use meters? He's like, it's about thirty meters tall. I'm like, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Another thing. The uh, this threw me off when I first watched it. Um, the um, paramedics on the helicopter when they're taking Kranis into the ship. I'm like, are, why aren't these guys Japanese? But then I'm like, oh, it's military. They're going back to the ship. Yeah. Um, no, we, we have bases. Almost got them there. <laughs> um, but the helicopter. This was the biggest problem I had. So. I worked in Crash and Salvage, and the Crash and Salvage uh, sh- uh, shack is, um, at least on um, on my aircraft carrier, was on the back end of the bridge. So you have the bridge looking out o- on the open ocean, and then the very bottom, uh, very bottom 
uh, deck, right on the flight deck, is our hatch. So this helicopter is taking off right by our hatch. (laughs) And I know for a fact that, one, it's not going to. Uh, That's not where helicopters launch from. They don't launch from the middle of the deck. They launch from the sides. Uh, Yeah, they they launch from the uh, port side. There's a few up up top that they can they can do as well like up at the the uh, forward part of the ship but this thing comes from straight from the middle i'm like this, this is supposed to be a nimitz class uh, aircraft carrier absolutely not so, but you have to have a good shot for the movie absolutely yeah um, and one one thing that's really brilliant about the 2014 godzilla movie is it's aesthetically very it's gorgeous in a lot of ways like um really beautiful imagery um i don't know if you're familiar with the director at all um no what else has he done gareth edwards um I get him mixed up with Garrett Evans, I think. Uh, The guy who did the raid. Um, Oh, yeah. Um, Gareth Edwards, I think he only did one movie before this, and it was called Monsters. Monsters. And it's an ultra-low-budget film, apparently edited on a laptop. Oh, And all the compositing and special effects were done by the director. Uh, It's like a man and a woman trekking down to Mexico. And it turns out there's like Cthulhu-esque monsters hidden in the wilderness in Mexico. And it's ultra low budget and it's pretty fucking good. He did my one of my my favorite of the new Star Wars movies, Rogue One. Yes, he did. <laughs> but he has an eye for shots. And I think doing his own special effects work probably contributed a lot to that, especially with no budget and monsters is it is a proper monster film but with no money so every every shot involving the monsters needed to be calculated needed to be choreographed very specifically so they could get the shots on the set that they needed and he could load it onto his laptop and do the fucking special effects and it shows like he has an eye for composition for sure um pump the brakes for a second i'm curious about um the military Mm-hmm. in Godzilla 98 and 2014 cuz one of the major differences between these movies is the portrayal of the mor- of the military. Yeah. Uh 98 Godzilla was pre 9/11. Very much pre-9/11. And it really shows cuz nothing seems to be there's no there's no air of authenticity to any of it. No. Uh most of the actors seem to be cast for their likability or their their um the ability to convey character rather than their suitability for the role. Like, you don't get that swagger that you, you get from actual military people in almost any of the... Kevin Dunn is not a fucking military man. I mean, he's not a military man, but I could you could believe it if... Like, I could almost believe him. Is I mean, like... he's, a, he's a good actor to cast as a dad yelling at a son, but yeah. not a man doling out orders and stuff. Okay, so there's a couple of things. He's so... got that slouchy, hunchback so posture. What, what was your, what's your question about the military? Just... The portrayal of the military in these two different movies. Because okay. I noticed in 98, like, they're almost incompetent. Yeah. Like, they're, they are incompetent. They are incompetent. And whereas uh, 2014, everything, you can tell they had on-set advisors and were likely getting a lot of subsidies from the military to get this movie made. So, real quick, I'm going to jump back to pre- the Predator. <laughs> um, there's, a sh- there's a shot. We both laughed when we saw him on screen. Um, Lachlan Monroe from Dead Man on Campus. Yeah, that, that's the guy who was from Freddy vs. Jason. Oh my god, we both laugh and we like we that saw him. That was like, terrible. Oh my god, but they just put him. I'm like, no 
fucking way no, no, <laughs> dude is yeah. in the military telling people what to do. Yeah, no way oh he's in a, a, like a drone pilot center or something. <laughs> that's, so the, that's some of the funniest casting I've ever seen. It's like, no, 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 no. This is a guy who was throwing water balloons at people and mooning them. <laughs> and he has completely taken a wing of a frat house. Yeah. Like, he's not... What's going on over here? <laughs> Absolutely not. He's doing beer bongs and calling people lesbians. Um, or doing bong rips with uh, the guys in Dead Man on Campus. But uh, another nineties reference. The, do, do your research. The guy uh, who is um, who's reporting directly to Kevin Dunn. Uh, he's the one that he stands at attention and giving the salute, which they don't do. He is a clown. He is a clown, and I'm like. He kind of reminded me of like like Lachlan Monroe, like he would have played that part, or like Jake Busey even, like he yeah. just kind of had that look to him. Uh, no, they were incompetent um, because in '98, uh, when Jean Reno convinces uh, Matthew Broderick, he's like, "You need to work with us. This was our problem. We need you to get us onto this military base." Um, and the dude's just like looking at these guys, like, "You guys supposed to be here?" And he's like, "Yeah, we're totally supposed to be here. I don't even know if they have any papers or permits. They're just in a fucking Humvee." Thank you very much. Yeah. Go on through. They're just like, yeah, okay, go through. He did an Elvis impersonation. He's okay in my book. Um, I say that I, I'm, I think that how we try to handle it in 98 would probably be more realistic than how we would try to de- deal with it in 2014, which is in 98, they're like, just fucking kill it. I don't care how we do it. Kill the fuck out of it. Um, ooh. That's as far as my as far as I can remember. Well, the, uh, the major difference that I picked up on is just the tone, like the the military in the ninety eight one. Oof. They're incompetent. Uh, they're scared all the time. I would that, that I'd say that that's legit. Like I was like in the military. I remember having a discussion, and like one of my uh, one of my officers was like, "What would you do if we started getting bombed on this ship?" I'm like, "I'm gonna fucking jump off." And he's like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, seriously, I'm like, if the ship's going down and there's nothing we can do, I'm not going to go down with the ship. He's like, well, you're a fucking coward. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like, we're done. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a member of the United, armed for, uh, the United States um, Armed Forces. I'm, I'm jumping. I'm a human and I want to survive. I'm like, same thing here, except this thing is a monster. Like, it is giant. These guys are like shaking. I'm like, I would absolutely be shaking too. Like, yeah. I have to shoot this giant monster. I don't think these bolts are going to work. Fire! Fire! <laughs> Like this is not good. Um, it's it's just interesting seeing it played for laughs because like most of the property damage in Godzilla '98 comes at the hands of the military. A lot of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. Actually, I got a, a little chuckle from the the helicopter pilot. The, oh damn! I like I, that. Is the one uh the one another shot I'll give that movies. I do like that that shot where they're like, where'd he go? It doesn't make sense where you go, but he just comes from underneath. Trailer shot. Trailer shot. I thought that was cool. It was, it was in the trailer. <laughs> I, thought, I thought that was a cool shot. It was a cool shot. Um, but yeah, the the military in 98 are supposed to be incompetent. I don't... 2014, it's very... I don't know. It's very po-faced. It's very... Uh, We're, it's supposed to be authentic, but it comes across as almost like... Well, you, you mentioned pre-9-11, like this movie. I think that's the biggest difference. It is, because ever since then, you you have to portray the military in almost an advertising kind of way. Um, well, they're funding your fucking movie. <laughs> him jumping out, that's, dude, that's a fucking, tr- that's a commercial right there. Be all that right you there. can be. Be all that you can be. You get to jump out of a, you get to jump out of a, a plane and uh, try to kill a Godzilla. Like, and I think, I think post-9-11 has a lot I, to do with that. I think that's mostly it. But, um, 
Um, but then, then again, you're pointing out like lots of inaccuracies, but a lot of it just has to do with the tone, like how the how the characters are not shown to be afraid. They're like shown to be raring to go. That seems to be more of a modern military depiction thing as opposed to something like Platoon, where it's a draft army where everyone just wants to go home. Well, that's the thing. If you have experience in so, like a certain job, there was another episode that we talked about. Um, like I was talking about the in. Um, Treat Williams. Oh, Deep Rising. Uh, where she's doing the torch cutting. I'm like, I'm not even... What are you doing? Like, that, <laughs> you're not welding. That's cutting. Yeah. And like, if you have somebody who works in that field, they're, like, they're going to pick it up really quick. And if you're doing a movie about like where you have military segments, like you only know so much and you can only consult so much where something will get overlooked and somebody will be like, that's not how they would well, do that. And also, like you said, a lot of it is presentation too. Yeah. Like if, if your shot looks like garbage doing it the real way, then just fake it. The presentation is pretty good, at least in the ship part. Like, yeah, that where they're at is much bigger than that room would be, but uh, all the stuff around it looks pretty legit. And the and the P-way, the hallway, looks uh, pretty legit, too. Well, Maybe may filmed on location or something. And he says, go to general quarters. And this was a little this was a little thing that I noticed, too. That's how they do general quarters. He goes, um, he goes, did you catch that little whistle? Mm-hmm. But that's for when the captain's going to talk. It goes, oh. But that means the captain's going to come over. When they do general quarters, they go, this is not a drill. And then they blow a whistle. Uh-huh. General quarters, general quarters. All all hands go to your battle stations. Interesting. Um, so what they were doing was it was the, the captain was going to come over the one MC. But that's yeah. they were calling general well, quarters. Like I said, they very clearly had an advisor on set. They they fucked that part up. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's, they didn't pay him well. No. <laughs> We should get to entrances. Yes. Entrances Uh, proper. So the first time we see Godzilla 98 uh, comes in the aftermath of his initial attack. So his initial attack, um, Hank Azaria, like you said, captures some footage of him that gets played on a loop. I like Hank Azaria. Hank Azaria's charming. I love him in every movie I've seen him in. No, he's always great. He's always welcome. But uh, he captures some footage of, of Godzilla 98. It tries to step on him, probably not intentionally, mm-hmm. but he uh, ended, ends up between its toes. Again, trailer shot yeah. of its foot coming down on him. Uh, so he survives, and his name is Animal because he's a crazy cameraman that works for a news station. He'll do anything for the shot. Yeah. And that's, his, that's, the, end, that's the long and the short of his character. Um, Godzilla's entrance proper, though, comes in the form of a... A plan that Matthew Broderick advises the military to enact, and he says, "When I was hunting for earthworms, I used an electric current to like draw them out, as opposed to hunt them down. Yeah, because this 300-foot-long lizard has disappeared well, so <laughs> in that, Manhattan. That's a good good thing to bring up. Um, is that he like this is the perfect place for him to hide? And we're like, I what don't... are you talking about? But." He's right when uh, it's burrowing. That if they were like, if they had figured out that he was burrowing, then they're like, oh yeah, totally. But it's set in New York, and that's not what you, that's not what you think of. Yeah. If this was like in the Midwest somewhere, where it's just like cornfields and woods, and like yeah, this is a perfect place for him to hide because he can just burrow and then he can pop up someplace else. It's like, but it's not. But, but why is he hiding? Yeah, he doesn't need. He's to hide. an alpha predator. There is not a single well, thing on the planet that can challenge him. So. I think he lays his eggs in Madison. So I don't know how he lays his eggs. She lays her eggs in Madison Square in Garden. Madison. Yeah, in like she dumped them on the seats. Her like, from shoulders to 
tip of the nose, I think she's taller than Madison Square Garden. Easily. She How did she pop it. a squat inside without breaking the roof? It makes absolute no sense. Absolutely. That's no sense. it's a nitpick, but it's valid. <laughs> that's that's a valid. That's a valid. Yeah. Um, yeah, but if they were to there's say, a like, certain posture you have to assume when you're taking a dump that you know I don't think would be physically possible without I, breaking the roof. I actually like the shots when we go in in Godzilla '98 when we go down, like we're like when they come up into Madison Square Garden where they're going through like the damage. Well, when there are actual sets to dress, yeah, they're dressed pretty well. Uh-huh. Um, this movie over over relies on uh, CGI. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few miniatures in the movie. There are. I wasn't able to point. I wasn't able to you, point them. They're right in front of you, but what they're doing is they're creating miniature sets, mm. and then having a CGI lizard run through it. Gotcha. So sometimes the city CGI, sometimes it's miniature. That's, okay. Uh, you mentioned rain. Yeah. The rain, to me, I read that as an attempt to cover up poor special effects. Smart. <laughs> Smart, but also transparent. Because it's very convenient that every single fucking time this lizard is on screen. You can barely see it. And he is a fucking lizard. He is not Godzilla. <laughs> he has his reveal uh, when they're... With in the, the rain. Fish. Yeah, that you see him actually like come up. Yeah, so the grand reveal comes in during the scheme where they organize to have a bunch of trucks come from Jersey filled with fish and they dump a gigantic pile of fish in the middle of the street i don't know what part of manhattan oh, but yeah and um, that you mentioned matthew broderick he has one of his yeah. one of his lines where they they're creating this pile of fish and matthew broderick looks at a uh, the the dunce the yeah. kevin dunn's underling and says that's a lot of fish and the guy just shoots him a look like you were like, are you fucking kidding me right now yeah. it's like <laughs> really you felt the need to share that. Are you gonna are you gonna talk about the rain now? Oh yeah, it's just you, raining all the time here. Yeah, it's like, like you do realize I'm the dumb one. <laughs> like, it's, it's like you notice how I keep my mouth shut in these situations. <laughs> Maybe uh, take a hint. <laughs> yeah, so this is a ruse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Godzilla, um, they have to open up some manhole covers to, to because he he needs to smell the fish. It's just an excuse to get Matthew Broderick out out in front of this thing. Yeah. So it comes up from the ground. Scares some soldiers. Matthew Broderick tells him, don't shoot, don't shoot. And uh, he gets classic face-to-face with the monster. It's very evocative of the T-Rex and Alan Grant mm-hmm. in the first Jurassic Park. when he, <laughs> Don't move. It can't see us if we don't move. And freeze! Yes, exactly. It's very evocative of that scene, which happened in a movie only like five years prior. Um, and yeah, it Godzilla roars in his face and then ignores him. And... Uh, Makes a beeline for the fish, and we get the grand reveal of its face and its entire body. And the score is going nuts. It has this sweeping, majestic melody that's playing grand orchestra. And I remember being in the theater with my mom, and like she's just like... (laughs) Well, because music is very important in the Godzilla movies. Um, The Godzilla franchise has always had very strong music. has a very distinct sound to it. And it always felt comfortable. It always Ooh. felt right. In this one, though, the score is done by David Arnold. Um, you, I mean, I know you're not really a James Bond guy, but no. um, he is a fantastic composer. Okay. Um, put it this way, uh, Skyfall. Okay. When that movie was coming out, it was 2012. Uh, he could not do Skyfall because he was recruited by the British government to do the Olympics music. Oh, wow. So, yeah, he's kind of a big deal. Gotcha. <laughs> he's a fantastic composer. And he also did Independence Day. 
which has a fantastic score. I never noticed. I've never noticed a score. In oh, it's, it's fantastic. He's a great composer. I believe you. But and a lot of the music in this movie is very good, except for when it comes to Godzilla's themes, because mm-hmm. it's it's planting the seeds for like this is such an amazing, gorgeous thing you're looking at, and that's just boiled crap. I'm, it looks like such garbage. This is reminding regardless me. of what year you're watching it. I'm just imagining like how all these bad scores sound to you is like Cable Guy where he's uh, where Matthew Broderick has to fight Jim Carrey and he's that's that's what every time you're like oh I'm just picturing Jim Carrey except that's really good music I funny thing about that I. I was hanging out at a friend's house when I was like 18 and she had to leave with her mom for some reason. Like, you you can chill here. Like, they had one of those houses where people just came over and stayed. Like, we just would hang okay. out. It was very irresponsible on their <laughs> hand. But we smoked some pot in the morning and they left and they were going to come back in a little bit. And I was just sitting there in their kitchen watching um, Cable Guy. I was just on cable. And that scene came up and I had, hadn't seen that movie in so long I'd forgotten. And I... Laugh! I cry like it hurts so bad. I was just laughing oh, at that, that one scene. Hilarious! I love oh, that movie. Actually, it, I do too. I really do like that movie. It's a specific brand of comedy you don't see too often. It's very dark. It's very dark it's comedy. Very dark. I really, I do like that movie. As far as Jim Carrey being silly, I think it's the one that holds up the most. Mm. Um, I haven't seen Liar Liar in a long time. I don't know if I'm gonna visit it again. Yeah, it's Carrie Elwes doing the claw makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's kind of pitch perfect. Like just like. This is a parent who doesn't quite get it. <laughs> um, anyway, so we were... So yeah, the, the score. Scene, we were... The scene, um, yeah, we get their really obnoxious music. It's trying, it's trying to make things seem grander than they actually are. Because mm-hmm. it really, it's just CGI crap. Mm-hmm. And the massive difference that especially stood out to me in my most recent viewing of this film, of the 98 Godzilla, as compared to when I saw it for the first time, is that... Yeah, they probably put a lot of time and money and effort, because it's not a low-effort film, um, into the CGI, but uh, the care that was put into creating the shots for Jurassic Park and The Mm. Lost World was far and away beyond that of Godzilla. Because the way way CGI has to be done, um, at least used to, Mm. nowadays I think you can fudge it a little bit, Mm. but back in the day, the the way you had to do things to get good cgi in your movie was you had to film it on the set the day of with the intention of crafting those effects with exactly that lighting at exactly those angles because when you're handing those shots to the compositors to put that that Mm -hmm. fake thing in that shot they need that data they need to know what they're going to be working with whereas if you just shoot things willy-nilly and hand it off to the animators Mm -hmm. they're going to flip you the bird and say i can give this to you in you know 500 hours or whatever but it's still not going to look the way you want it to because you gave me a shit a shit framework to work from moving in herds i think that's the best example from that movie is uh whenever they see the first dinosaur and then they see across the pond i i watched it uh fairly recently i'm like i never i didn't know that it was like cgi when i was a kid like that whole scene right there it's like, because it's good cgi it's so good and, and every shot with the T-Rex, the lighting is very calculated. Mm-hmm. They knew exactly how they were going to frame things. They were probably talking to their, their animators day in, day out. Whereas Godzilla, there are some embarrassing shots later on. Like, 
the early one, the early stuff, like the first half of this movie, is actually pretty well constructed, and you can tell al- almost every trailer shot in the movie is the best shots in the movie. At least you can admit that because I really do think that th- this is a fun movie up into a certain point, and then it completely drops well, off. The, Same with the Lost World. Yeah, um, there's a major thing that I noticed um, in both. Well, mostly in Godzilla 2014. This is part of why I compare it more to a Gamera movie than a Godzilla movie, is a perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most clever tricks that I'm sure Gareth Edwards picked up on in working on monsters is uh, the way you make a giant monster movie effective, the way you make it different and distinct and impactful, is you need to shoot, you need to shoot these creatures from a certain perspective. Uh-huh. And, and that perspective is that of an ant. Um, yeah. If you want to make something look big, uh, one of the best ways to do that is to put it in the frame from the perspective of a human being. So when Godzilla first appears in Godzilla 2014, we can't see all of him because he's too close to us. Yeah. And, you know, our field of view can only encompass so much. That's just a, a hint at what's to come. There's only one iconic shot in Jurassic Park where you really get that like super close, and that's when we're. Well, it's also a Spielberg movie. Yeah, that's it's what I said. That's, a, you can't a, compare. It, the it's two. also a brilliant film. But yeah. like Godzilla 2014, they do a lot of subtle things. Where like when Ford is first being attacked by the Muto and Brian Cranston dies, mm-hmm. um, he puts on like a a biohazard suit, and we get a shot from his perspective through through the glass lenses mm-hmm. and you can hear his breathing and it just puts this That's haze good, yeah. on the image and it makes it terrifying that that is really that was really and effective. then we get shots like on the golden gate bridge of from within car interiors mm-hmm. so you get like a, a kind of skewed perspective and then throughout the movie we get lots of shots of news monitors and like tvs just showing news footage of like helicopter footage of these monsters so not shown from like ground level or from cinematic angles, but just shown from like matter of fact angles, and it, it creates this air of reality. That's where, why I like that one shot, uh, the shot where Godzilla coming into New York, where he steps over the bridge, just because that yeah, was also there, there from is a car. shot from a car interior, yeah. and it's very effective. Trailer shot, <laughs> but Trailer in the side, second half yeah. of the movie, though, everything starts getting shot from cinematic angles, mm-hmm. and it becomes vastly inferior to the rest of it. It becomes much less interesting. So yeah, um, cutting back to Godzilla 2014, um, I actually think it's one of the best reveals for Godzilla in all the movies. Okay. Um, Terror of Mechagodzilla actually is one of my favorite entrances, if not my favorite. Uh, it's so beautiful, where Titanosaurus is tearing up the city alone, um, and then from off screen we just get a fire blast, mm-hmm. a distinctive blue fire blast, hits oh, yeah. him in the side and he just flops onto his back. And then snap zoom to the like skyscrapers, and then there's this like backlit lightning flash, and then very slowly the lighting cues up, and we get to see like there's just a Godzilla head standing between the buildings, and then as soon as the lighting gets to where it needs to be, he rears back and roars, mm-hmm. and then his theme music kicks in. It's fucking awesome. Dun, 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 no, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yes, Kyle, that that's the Godzilla theme. <laughs> The unmistakable Godzilla theme. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> You're a Godzilla scholar now. <laughs> but yeah, um, Godzilla 2014, though. Um, so we've had some shenanigans where Muto uh, crashed those jet fighters in, yep. the, in, the, in the wilderness of, of Hawaii. Um, and then Muto makes a beeline for the airport. Um, 
But during all this, uh, and then there's some shit with Ford and a little Japanese boy, but we don't yeah, care about that. that yeah. Oh, yeah, and a, a tram car that doesn't exist at the Hawaii airport. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's just an elevated train platform. Um, so the way we start things off in Godzilla 2014, though, is uh, Waikiki. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of Howleys, a bunch of white people on, on, the, on the beach <laughs> at the hotel. <laughs> And then uh, a little girl walks out to the beach, and the tide oh, starts yeah. pulling back. And which Run. anybody who knows anything knows that means tsunami. Tsunami. And then very shortly thereafter, the sirens start ringing because it's Hawaii. They know what they know the drill. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, her dad picks her up and yells for all the howlies in the crowd, like "Run! <laughs> tsunami! Tsunami!" And then, uh, sure enough, the tide comes back. It's a gigantic tidal wave. Uh, he's throwing a shot of a dog. Because of course, that dog needed. It's to die. just like Independence Day, actually. Yeah. It's a bud, buddy, or whatever. Buddy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the dog is uh, running down the street. There's a whole mess of people, and I mentioned this earlier: the idea of like known death, but without visual confirmation. That dog is dead. Oh, that dog is so fucking that dead. That dog is dead. And um, and even though they they show a. They like run into a Starbucks. <laughs> everybody, everybody, just Starbucks with glass doors. Everybody on that beach is dead. Yeah, they show the little girl and, and her dad and her her mom like run into like a Starbucks just as the tidal wave goes by and the glass cracks, but it doesn't break. Yeah, but you know that glass broke. Yeah, that glass broke. <laughs> Those, people, Those are people are so dead. dead. And then we get a shot of some people like camped out on a roof, and we get these sweeping shots of just a tsunami going through downtown. Like Honolulu, yeah, it's kind of awesome. And then a moment of calm, and then a couple of flares get shot up, and there's a bunch of soldiers on top of the roof. And from the lighting of the flares, we get the reveal of a body, Mm -hmm. and it's like Godzilla from like the hips down, and that's like at the top of the buildings. So we, like I said, the way the perspective this is shot from, we're not able (laughs) to see him. Yeah, and it's kind of great. So we just get a shot of his body, and he's covered in water, and these soldiers shoot at him. And then we get a shot of his tail exiting the city, and it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, so the military know about Godzilla, but this is the first time they're really seeing him. Actually, like his entrance directly preceding this is that under-the-ship under shot. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken, Dr. Ken runs out to the deck of the carrier because he's like, I need to see this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the first, the actual grand reveal of Godzilla is uh, him and the Muto at the airport. There's some explosions, some shit goes down. And then it looks like Godzilla, like, steps in front of an explosion that, that kind of saves some people. But it's choreographed in such a way that um, it feels organic. Excuse me. <laughs> the dog is squeaking. Squeaking a toy. <laughs> gonna have to deal with some squeaking because she's she's hiding she's hiding from she's, she's in her hidey hole for a minute yeah um but yeah and then we get a full body shot of godzilla and he does a magnificent roar and then we cut away from the fight <laughs> which is fine um it's kind of funny that i had kyle watch terror of mecha godzilla because that's actually how that scene goes down exactly the same actually mm-hmm. where it feels like the beginning of a grand fight scene, and then it just it just ends. Yeah. And in Godzilla 2014, um, we don't get the actual fight. We get some news footage of like a highlight reel of the fight. That's smart. 
Yeah, because, again, the more you put the monster on camera, the less interesting it becomes. And so if you can te- if you can afford to tease it all the way until the end, more power to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the design. Yeah, yeah, let's talk design. So like I said a little bit earlier, like I like what they were trying to do with this Godzilla in 98, the Godzilla 98. They're trying to ground it in some kind of reality, um, whereas uh, the original Godzilla was a completely, I'm going to say, original character design, a monster design. Um, I'm not sure what it was supposed to be. Mimic, like, what was it supposed to be exactly? Um, it's kind of a hodgepodge. Mm. Um, I remember there was some there was some media coverage of, like, Japanese reaction to the 2014 Godzilla's design. Mm-hmm. Um, Japanese audiences criticized him for being fat. Because <laughs> he is. He's kind of thick below kind of the chubby. waist. Yeah, he's kind of... He, He's kind of chunky, but they they made fun, they made light of it because they're like it's the American Godzilla that makes sense. That's yeah, <laughs> that I he'd figured. be kind of. Fat. I figured that would be the joke that would. But ninety eight Godzilla, I feel like was came as a result of a, well, one film directors and producers falling in love with CGI mm-hmm. and what they can do with that, because man in suit technology, um, you can only have the monster behave the way a man wearing a two hundred pound monster suit can. Yeah. So you're very limited in the choreography you can do with a monster like that. And you pointed it out like I didn't even notice that where you have um, you have him walking on two legs instead of four. Um, that that's problematic. Yeah. Yeah, but um, the CGI element to me was like um, I actually read that uh, they did motion capture tests for Godzilla. And oh Hedia, really? But they felt it looked too human, and it was distracting. I kind of want to see that. I kind of. I'd be curious to see what it looked like in 1998. Yeah, but. So I think what happened was they want they saw the raptors in Jurassic Park and how they moved and the things that the, you could do with CGI and they decided why wouldn't we do that like if yeah. we if we can do this why shouldn't we and it made for a completely different creature like Godzilla to me is big and slow yeah he's never in a hurry no he's he's not supposed to be very fast like even when he's running of which he, he's like Steven Seagal in the number of his films he's run in. Yeah. <laughs> it's like maybe two or three. He's not supposed to move that quick. But Godzilla 98, one of the major distinctions is that uh, he's vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end of the movie, he's killed with standard, standard just conventional weapons. So let me ask you, the design of Godzilla 2014 as opposed to any Godzilla from... what's What was that era you, you called it? the Like the original... Oh, Showa. The Showa. Um, from that... From that time, how would you, would you say that the the creature or the Godzilla design in 2014 is pretty, pretty, pretty good? I, I think it's a good design. It I, it is a little thick, <laughs> like from. Um, but that's actually a design element. Um, I think he has more in common with the Heisei Godzilla, uh, from 1984 to 1995. Um, those costumes were bigger and heavier, and in particular, their thighs were chunky as fuck. Hmm. Um, that's also what Godzilla's always had. A little bit of a dog muzzle mm-hmm. um, that became more pronounced in the 80s and the 90s and this one in 2014 I think they intentionally did that um, except in this case um, not not just to give the impression that he's a mutant of some sort but also I think it creates audience connection like people are emotionally attached to dog-like creatures mm-hmm. why not give him a dog-like face how about the scale? Like you mentioned before, that a mistake that you can make with trying to reimagine a creature is by going just bigger for no reason. Um, I feel like the dimensions were pretty, pretty, 
were pretty similar. Like the way he stands in the miniatures um, to where he stands in the uh, 2014. 2014 Godzilla is um, second in size only to the most recent Japanese Godzilla movie. The Shin Gojira. Oh, it's from 2016, I think. I haven't seen that one. It's, I want, it's, the, it's really good. The the front good. cover makes it look really good. Oh, it's very good. I, I like the um, I like the. It's not what you'd expect, though. Interesting. It's a Shin Godzilla. Yeah, it's, I think it's on Netflix right now. It's a like a political satire for what? most for most of it. Oh shit! <laughs> it's very interesting. Very okay. good. If you can if you can watch it, you probably should. I'll try to watch um, it. It's, ver- it's it's not your typical monster movie. Okay. Um, but yeah. 2014 Godzilla was at the time the largest iteration of the character. Um, I think the American Godzilla one was also like it also set that precedent because bigger is always better. Um, um, ja- it- Japanese Godzilla fluctuated in size pretty radically. Um, he was at his biggest in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, throughout the 50s and 60s and 70s, he was like pretty consistently like 55 meters, and then he got up to 100, and then in 2000 he went back down to like 55. <laughs> So it's been up and down, but American ones have always been like big. Um, let's go ahead and uh, let's, you want to jump to climax because yeah, let's get to the monster fighting because really that's the that's the whole reason we watch yeah. these movies. So that's that's the biggest problem now watching Godzilla 2014, watching Mecha Godzilla, Terror of Mecha Godzilla, is that there's supposed to be a showdown. That's just, this is how you end a Godzilla movie, from what I can gather. There. <laughs> The whole 1998 movie is them just trying to find him. That's the yeah. entire movie. The entire fucking movie. The whole plot is just finding him. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> so we find out that Godzilla 98 has had a bunch of babies, which is, from doing the movie math, impossible for this he, to happen in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Um, without yeah. the top being completely off and them knowing exactly yeah, where it's at. he conveniently reproduces asexually. Unless he, like, dug, he, like, burrowed and then went ass up into the side of uh, Madison Square Garden, just, like, popped them out and they all just landed Maybe he, there. like, pooped in his hand and just, like... <laughs> I mean, maybe like put them, put like lifted them up in there I mean, that's, from underground. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's like <laughs> one at a time. It doesn't make any sense how they're in there. No, it doesn't. And they end up. The people go into the stadium. Yeah, they, so Matthew Broderick and the French, basically, yeah. and then independent of them is oh, the shitty girlfriend. Oh yeah. Oh, she is the shittiest. Girlfriend. She's a piece of shit. She's yeah. not even a girlfriend, but shitty ex-girlfriend. But you would think, judging by Matthew Broderick's pictures, that she is the girlfriend or a recently ex-girlfriend. Yeah, he he kept all the photos. They they weren't even date. They hadn't dated in years, like five years. It'd been a while. But she's a shitty ex-girlfriend. She's very shitty. Um, um, and she and Hank Azaria are looking for the big scoop. Yeah. So they they find their way to Madison Square Garden too. So all the major players are converging in one place. So yeah, we start ripping off Jurassic Park pretty. So quick. the idea is the military is keen on eliminating Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, Matthew Broderick has proposed the idea that this thing can produce asexually, and it probably is here to nest. Yep. Uh, because this is a '90s blockbuster movie, the military has to push him aside and ignore him. Uh, so he joins up with the French yes. to uh, take care of the eggs while they're trying to handle Godzilla with. Uh, submarines and apaches yep uh they they think they get him that's they, kind of a cool shot where he they just knock like, him out again basically. the music okay the music is going nuts and it's like trying to make you feel sad for godzilla 
I'm like, fuck you. And literally, I thought, if I remember correctly, it kind of sounds like when uh, the dudes on Titanic are like, uh, <laughs> it's been a pleasure, a privilege playing with you, and he just starts playing that sad shit. Well, you want to hear sad music? Pull up Godzilla 1984, and when he falls into that volcano, you will just be bawling your eyes out. That the music's that sad. It's like the Godfather theme meets Godzilla, <laughs> but like, and like, all of the citizens of Japan, including the prime minister, are like practically saluting this lizard in a volcano, and like cry- the prime minister is crying, <laughs> and the music is just going nuts. It's beautiful, but this Godzilla has oh. zero personality, and I'm meant to feel bad for him being knocked unconscious by some torpedoes. Yeah, fuck, so fuck you. <laughs> so um, they're basically they're in this place and like, hey, listen, um, we have all these little Godzillas, and like, okay, we're gonna bomb the shit out of it. Yeah, the little Godzillas are. Yeah, just loathsome. They They're, look like the, it's the worst CGI. They look like boiled crap. They look like awful. Both, both the puppets and the CGI yeah, look bad. Both like absolute garbage. Like the they were in. The, I remember them in the trailer. I that's definitely. I remember the elevator thing. He's like wrong floor. I remember that. That was in the a trailer. decent gag, but like no. Um, and yeah, that whole sequence is like okay. Try to sh- try I to sh- I ahead, get sorry. it. The the, the raptors in Jurassic Park were kind of a cool thing. But... Try that shit on a Velociraptor. Oh, wrong floor. <laughs> <laughs> You're dead, honky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that whole sequence is just embarrassing. And yeah, yeah the CGI is at its awful. very worst. It's like, awful. If you really want to roll your eyes at something, um, look at their feet. In, I thought their eyes. Any, their eyes are terrible. Yeah, the their eyes, eyes are, are really bad. Um, I don't know... Patrick Toptopoulos did the designs for all the creatures in Godzilla '98, and he's a he's a good production designer. And if you've seen his sketches, ooh, beautiful. Mm, um, I looked those up. Curious. Uh, Stan Winston actually built a maquette, uh, like a sculpture mm-hmm. of his design for Godzilla, and it looks excellent. Really? Um, they didn't use it. Of course so they, not. So they recruited like the foremost creature creator in Hollywood at the time, the guy who did the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. Oh. Um, and but. they didn't use his designs. <laughs> but yeah, the Patrick Totopoulos uh, sketches, very good. I'll look that up. But what ended up on the screen, not so good. <laughs> hmm. um, but yeah, they, this is where we're going we're gonna to get Godzilla, is they bomb, they have to kill the little Godzillas, absolutely, otherwise you'd have a whole bunch of these things running around. And they bomb the shit out of it, and Big Godzilla does not like this. He goes up and nudges one of them, like, oh, this isn't good. So now he's pissed off. And, again, the military are just running around, like, oh, we gotta try to figure something out, because uh, we thought we killed him, but we didn't. <laughs> and they're in a cab. They end up getting into a cab. Uh, Jean Renault, um Audrey, I think is her name. Yeah, that's the character's name. Audrey. The shitty girlfriend. And Hank Azaria. They get into a cab, and now they're driving through the streets, and they're arguing about which bridge to take. So, and... You remember in Jurassic Park? Yep. You remember Must when... Go Faster? Yeah, remember yeah. Must Go Faster? Must Go Faster. You remember how that scene was like 30 seconds long? Yep. And you remember it clear as day, and it was wonderful? Yeah. Imagine that, but spread out over 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Uh... And they're, they lure him to a bridge, and he somehow gets wrapped up in the bridge. Like, he tries to get up, it's and he gets It's a suspension tangled. bridge. Um, it's kind of funny, actually, because um, basically it's where the, the wires converge, and there's a, a solid... <laughs> there's a <laughs> dog burp. The dog burp is really cute. Um, so basically what happens is it's cha- Godzilla's chasing him down the bridge, 
Um, it's like the Brooklyn Bridge or something. Sure. Um, and the first one of these obstacles it comes across, it climbs over. Mm-hmm. No problem. Second one, it just runs into. It tries to go underneath, and its spines get caught in the suspension wires. So he's stuck in place. And throughout this entire movie, every time the military is trying to kill Godzilla, uh, the reason they can't is not because they are incapable. He's too elusive. He's too elusive. He's too, he's too elusive. agile. Yeah. And he's colder than the buildings around him, so so heat seekers don't work. Ah, oh, I didn't even think about that because he's a cold-blooded animal. We have other we have other ordnance we can use. That <laughs> not makes, everything. Not everything that, is a heat seeker. That actually makes so much more sense now because that they. They shoot at him, and then he like uh, hits the Chrysler building. He's like, "That's a goddamn Chrysler building." Yeah, that makes sense why the missiles would miss because it's supposed to be a cold-blooded creature. But they never say that. Do no, they? they do. Do they? I they never do. noticed that. No, they do. Um, the helicopter pilot that I liked said that. Oh, okay. He's colder than the buildings around him. Well, he gets uh, he gets tangled up, and then this is finally he's not able to move, and they end up hitting him, and then he's dying, and Matthew Broderick goes up, and like. He has like this moment with him, and it's really stupid. It, um, again, it's it's trying to evoke some sort of emotional response that just isn't there. No, like you're not giving me any reason to feel anything for this lizard. No, <laughs> and that's all it is. It's just a big dumb lizard, and even the fire breath, a trademark of Godzilla. Like one of those things you absolutely can't have a Godzilla movie without. Don't even do it. Yeah, they don't even do. It. Not even a little bit. Uh, what they did was they had him roar and then fish some, guts. No, cars, he kicks up cars with the strength of his roar, mm-hmm. and the cars explode and create a fireball. It doesn't come from him, it's just ex- a random explosion that he causes. Again, I think they're trying to ground it in reality, and it's not working yeah, out Yeah, again, well. he's a big lizard. Yeah. He's not a Godzilla. And do they even make a noise like that? I don't even know. He, he, they use the authentic Godzilla roar. They do. But it is, it is like, altered a little bit. Mechagodzilla used, I, it was like... It's like you were pushing the button on a toy. <laughs> I know. I was, I was cracking up a little bit. Oh, uh, Titanosaurus's roar is awesome. I love his cackle. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up 98 real quick just so we can. Yeah, uh, so they think they've got it all. They've got it all taken care of. The Matthew Broderick gets the girl probably. Jean Renault. <laughs> probably. Jean Renault makes his exit. Um, yeah, the French government gets off. Scott free. Scott free for creating and, a Godzilla. Uh, New York is about to be Escape from New York. <laughs> I think this was supposed to be a, a, a prelude <laughs> to uh, Escape from New York. Well, that uh, would have been so awesome if there's like a Godzilla skeleton in the background on the bridge. And you just see Kurt Russell light up a cigarette. Like, oh. So they did kill that fucking lizard after all. Or they, or they just go to him telling the story about it. Um <laughs> So yeah, and then we cut back to Madison Square Garden where one of the eggs didn't get killed and then it hot it eats had, the camera. Yeah, it eats the camera, which uh, transitions into a cartoon show that I used to watch, actually. It was pretty good. Mm. Um, so the movie, I guess, underperformed to some extent. Um, it did fine, but oh, no. it just underperformed yeah. due to expectations. Um, so instead of making another movie, they just made a cheap cartoon out of it. Mm. It was pretty good. Hmm. And okay. it, it carries on directly from where the movie ended, where that baby imprints onto Matthew Broderick's character. Oh, really? And I think they use the same core cast, so like all the scientist characters come back. Oh, that's kind of cool. But in animated form. And some of the voice actors come back, like the uh, the Jewish scientist guy with the cold. Yeah. 
um, with the vest and the khaki shorts. Mm-hmm. He's he's on the show. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, what a Godzilla movie should have been, where it's baby Godzilla grows up into full-grown Godzilla, but it likes Matthew Broderick, so it listens to him, and then they travel the globe finding other monsters and having Godzilla fight them. That sounds like fun. And it was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> so, 98 ends without a monster fight. Um, yeah, it ends with Godzilla being killed by 12 missiles? Something like that. 12, yeah. Three, uh, two two volleys from three jets. We have uh, we have the... Yeah! All right! We got him, the, the Loja from uh, Independence yeah. Day. All right! <laughs> <laughs> we so, got him on the run, Tom, because I'm on a first-name basis with the president. <laughs> um, they, get it, they get it locked down, and... We'll go to uh, do the climax of Godzilla 2014, which is a monster fight. Yeah, it's a pretty complex monster fight, too. It's pretty rewarding. Uh, it's a little... It's funny, I watched it on my parents' LCD. Uh, it's very old. And uh, watching movies with that amount of darkness in them mm-hmm. is impossible. <laughs> okay, we have to address something really quick. So I mentioned on the Predator Masterclass that I watched it at my dad's house. Uh, I was in limbo at the time uh, waiting for my girlfriend to get back from Europe uh, (laughs) doing some study abroad stuff and I was waiting for her to get back so we could drive to North Carolina together. Uh, Trevor is house sitting for his parents right now. We do not live with our parents. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just so everyone's clear. He has his own apartment. I have an apartment with my girlfriend. We don't live with our parents. We are adults. We have jobs. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we are not neckbeards, as your brother I, would say. I own the microphone we're recording on. I do not, however, own the laptop we're recording on today. <laughs> that is a rental. <laughs> oh, okay. Just, I thought we better, better put that in there real yeah. quick. It's imp- that's really important to note. Yeah. Otherwise, you might lose a lot of viewers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, go ahead. 2014 Godzilla. Um, it, it is revealed about halfway through the movie that there is a second Muto. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you remember, there were two spores... Um, one of which was inert. Uh, however, in the 15 years that we're holding on to it, this monarch organization, uh, nothing ever came of it, so they put it in nuclear nuclear storage mm-hmm. in Yucca Mountain uh, in Nevada, I think. Um, so when the first Muto wakes up, um, it was mentioned by Brian Cranston that it was communicating. It was sending out a signal. Mm. Um, so that gets... Dr. Ken thinking, what is the signal going out to? And initially everyone thinks, oh, it's talking to Godzilla or something. And then they think about it again. They're like, oh, shit. Maybe that spore that we put in storage. And sure enough, it woke up. So it came out of stasis or whatever. It broke out of the mountain and it attacked Vegas. Mm -hmm. So the majority of the runtime of the movie in the middle portions, other than the shenanigans in Hawaii, Mm -hmm. is uh, the Mutos trying to meet up. And Godzilla chasing them, uh, so Godzilla is has like a is like a convoy, like an escort in the form of the U.S. military with mm-hmm. that carrier. So he's headed to the American West Coast, and so are it's the Mutos, um, and everybody converges again in San Francisco. Um, this is where uh, Ford uh, gets into things by doing a halo drop into the city. Yep. So the Mutos arrive, um, the male Muto, the smaller one with wings. And then the female one is like a chunky motherfucker. Um, uh, they meet up in San Francisco, tear up the place a little bit. And the male Muto presents the female with a nuclear missile that it jacked from, uh, I think from us. Probably. (laughs) We're trying to use it to lure them. And, uh, 
they use it to build a nest in San Francisco. So they're trying to bang, basically. Yeah. And Godzilla's there to cock block. <laughs> it's like the ultimate cock block. Yeah. <laughs> Big time cock block. So yeah, um, the Halo drop sequence, I think, is actually magnificent. It's really good. Like uh, They use the, I think it's the same music from 2001. Do they? I think Dun. so. The, the, no, 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 no. The, the choir at the end. Oh, I just... Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I, I remember this, this sequence being very good. I didn't get a chance to rewatch. I didn't get that far. I stopped at like an hour and three minutes into this movie. No, it's so. it's brilliant visual storytelling. It's good. Because there's not a word spoken. Um, they just jump out of the... I think it's a C-130. Something like that. And... Uh, they have these red flares that they pop, yeah. red smoke flares, and just gorgeous imagery. And it's all shot mostly from Ford's perspective. And it, there's just so much dust kicked up from, from the monsters because mm-hmm. these are gigantic organisms that are just tearing things up. It's well thought out, yeah. Yeah, and we get flashes of the action, but no like distinct shapes. And it just looks like diving into hell, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, not everyone makes it, but he and his unit, of course, he who does. he just joined on a whim... Because you can do that. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know anything on, about the military, that's absolutely they let you just join whoever you want. Oh yeah, I'm gonna go work yeah, with them now. On you know on missions that are defending the lives of millions and millions of people on American soil. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so he and the team they find the nest and they light it up, and Godzilla goes to town on the two Mutos. Get it's, some. Yeah, Get some. It's pretty fucking awesome because <laughs> the the size differential like the between these three monsters is kind of a it's kind of a like a pleasant arrangement where the little Muto is little. Mm. It's clearly much smaller than the other two, but it's it can fly, so it's much more mobile than the other two. Godzilla got them chunky thighs, so he's not moving too quick. Um, and the the female Muto is roughly the same size as Godzilla. So you have the muscle, and then you have like the little guy that shows up with the steel chair every once in a while to, to interrupt the action. <laughs> And that's kind of how it plays out. It, it feels kind of like a wrestling match where like Godzilla will be tied up with the big Muto and then the little one will just like bang bang on the back of his head and he'll get distracted and then he'll get knocked on his ass. But uh, Godzilla is booked to be very strong in Godzilla 2014. Um, almost too strong. Where it's like he kind of puts both of these guys in their place. If he, yeah. has, if he has them one-on-one, he's... He's fine. <laughs> like he's not in any danger. See, that's why I like the fight uh, at the end of Kong Skull Island with because oh. he was actually having some trouble. Like it was a it was a tricky adversary. Kong Skull Island was weird because um, unlike Godzilla twenty fourteen, where we didn't need to we didn't need to intervene at all. Yeah, Godzilla would have resolved everything without our help. Yeah, we didn't need him. Um, independent of us, he probably didn't even really notice us. Um, Kong though. Um, John C. Riley has that offhand dialogue where he mentions that he's still young, he's still growing, so he's like kind of a juvenile, so he's not fully developed, and if not for the human intervention in that final battle, he probably would have lost, because we get uh, Jing Tian, the Chinese lady, like she gets on like a 50 cal machine gun and like distracts the thing, and we get some of that where like our, our main cast of characters actually contribute to the battle whereas Godzilla 2014 everything Ford tries to do he fails at yeah like multiple times in the movie and it's kind of hilarious actually because he's like on these monsters heels the entire movie and every time he tries to help he fucks up which Indiana Jones movie is it that they somebody pointed out that 
Indiana Jones does nothing in it. Like, the, <laughs> like he he has no effect on the plot whatsoever. Huh, I've never heard that. Actually. I can't remember which one it was. And there was a gag in The Big Bang Theory. She watches the movie with them and like she's like, it had nothing to do with the plot. And they're like, you're nuts because they're nerds. Like he's absolutely. She's well, like, um, the Nazis would have got Ra- Raiders. Probably was it Raiders? Because they they they're their own undoing. Yeah, that's so what you, she said. If they, he hadn't inter- if he hadn't intervened at all, they would have killed themselves. Yeah, that's but but she says they they kill themselves at the end. Like he. He did nothing because they do end up killing themselves. Well, he killed more Nazis. And, they, and the gag is, the gag is, is they watch it and they're like, "God damn it, she's right." And they just like ruins it for him. Um, but anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, I hadn't heard that before. But, yeah. but you're kind of right. It's, yeah, she, that, somebody picked up on it. Um, but yeah, so they're. But yeah, um, the fighting escalates. Um, we get a really silly moment actually. Where even the soundtrack kind of betrays the movie a little bit. This soundtrack is in Godzilla 2014. It's done by, like, he's French. I don't know how to pronounce French things, but it's like Alexandre uh, Desplat. Sure. Very, very talented composer. Um, he did a great job. Great job. Um, big shoes to fill. Uh, yeah, the soundtrack gets a little whimsical here, and we get this weird moment where Godzilla kills Male Muto with a tail whip. Um, he times it just right, and it's flying behind him as it's done multiple times in the fight. So it's well choreographed in that sense, where it's like, fool me once, and then however you follow up that line, because <laughs> yeah. that, that line's fun to fuck up. Um, he, like, tail whips it into a skyscraper, and it gets impaled on it. And then the building collapses, like, partially on top of Godzilla. And so the, the biggest hit he takes in this entire two-on-one fight comes in the form of a Collateral. building. Yeah. Comes in the form of a building he knocked down yeah. on top of himself. <laughs> it's kind of fucking stupid. That's like you're like doing nunchucks and then exactly. you're popping your, it's, Like you hit him in the head, but you end up popping yourself yeah, in the it's, head. Too. It's like you're Bruce Lee and you just took out twelve dudes and then as you're like wrapping up and doing your pose, you like whack yourself on the nose. Oh. It's like nobody saw that, right? That sequence of Beverly Hills Ninja where he's messing oh. with the nose and he whacks himself in the head and he, like, Son of a- he starts jumping around like fucking <laughs> It looked legit too. That was what was kind of probably funny was. He probably didn't want like the foam ones, he probably wanted the real ones so he could sell it properly. Yeah. And like Chris, Chris, you don't need to suffer for your art. Wait, so he was a me- he was a method um, physical comedian. Is that what you're saying? Is he was that's worked for Chevy Chase? I mean, oh my gosh, got okay. him paid anyway. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Uh, so yeah, um, in the finale of the fight, oh yeah, um, we did get some fire breath, some mm-hmm. legit fire breath. Yeah, uh, it's very tastefully done. Uh, the build up to it's excellent. Where. Uh, Again, they take advantage of the dust and the shadows in this in this battle because most of the imagery is occluded in shadows and stuff. And the way we get our first fire breath in the fight in Godzilla 2014 is uh, we just see the tip of his tail lighting up blue. And it goes from the bottom of his tail all the way up his back, up to the back of his head. And the lighting from his back brings him into focus through through the dust. Mm-hmm. And then... Blah, fire breath and it's kind of fucking cool <laughs> um, but the finale of the fight now that male Muto's dead the female is the only one left and it's turned all of its attention to Ford and his guys because it found uh, because they blew up her nest mm-hmm. and she latched, she 
keys in on Ford because like he's the only one there. So it's just like you little ant creature, <laughs> fuck you. Oh, because he's the one married to a producer. Yeah, yeah. that's why she. Yeah, she. In yeah, case you didn't know, Aaron him. Taylor Johnson is married to a producer. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna knock anybody for marrying somebody that's a different age group, different age range. <laughs> uh, but I looked at the. I looked at the the difference in age. It's like me marrying my dad. (laughs) (laughs) She was born in 67. He was born in 90. I'm 89. My dad is 66. Born in 1966. It's pretty dramatic. I'm like, oh, dang. Like, that's a significant... That's that's some Harold and Maude shit. That's a little bit older. Like Um, like, like I said, I'm not... Nobody's judging. I'm not judging. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not there's anything wrong with that. I'm not judging. It's just that it's just convenient that she's also a Hollywood producer. Just saying. Just saying. (laughs) Just say, make of that what you will. Make of that what you will. Make your own. Um, so yeah, uh, Ford is now at the docks, and he and his unit carried this nuclear device that they were attempting to use as a lure for the Mutos, but obviously the Mutos stole it from them. Yeah. And decided to use it to build their nest on. However, this thing has an analog trigger that can't be stopped. Uh, so in desperation, he puts the nuclear bomb onto a boat. And just pushes it out and sets like the GPS to just go. Speaking of deep rising, <laughs> just <laughs> to just to just go away from San Francisco, and uh, Muto's are pretty big, and it catches up to him very easily. And oh yeah, it also emits an EMP, so <laughs> the ship, the boat just stops. I love the noise. I don't know what the it sound is. effect, the sound mixing in this movie is really good. Oh, Even the monster cries, like the Muto. I don't actually like the designs for them too much because they are very generic i think that they're very clumsy like it just they don't seem like well, they're they not be... distinctive like they're just bugs like it, it reminds me of like a cloverfield like it kind of it walks like a cloverfield but it also has wings and it, the bat too i think it, it walks kind of like a giant like a giant bat would almost well, i mean the male muto to me was very much like gals from gamera mm-hmm. like, even the flat head and every even the color scheme like mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of red elements in there but uh, so the female Muto catches up to him on the boat, and we get it's very Private Ryan esque. Actually, he even pulls out his handgun, his sidearm, and it's like Tom Hanks when he's injured in Love Private this. Ryan. It's great. Uh, and then instead of uh, instead of a uh, Mustang or whatever, uh, Godzilla shows up and is serves as the Deus Ex Machina. So yeah. he, he grabs the female Muto. Uh, Yanks its jaws open and breathes fire down his throat. That's a bitch in death. That's a bitch in death. That's a bitch in <laughs> death. And its head comes off because its throat gets melted out. And then we get this awesome music cue where it's like there's no there's no music. Like as as he's yanking this thing around, breathing down his throat. And then as soon as its head comes off and he starts roaring, it goes da da, <laughs> and it's like yes, fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's that triumphant music cue that you needed. And then, uh, yeah, uh, the the bomb actually goes off. It's kind of that's like the ultimate like climax, like the ultimate resolution of that theme of humans don't matter in this story because guess what? That nuke that you tried to use to to solve your problem, you didn't even stop it from going off. <laughs> I think I think I've just stumbled on the way to make a uh, a monster movie good is you have to be invested in the bad monster dying like it needs to have done something 
like like emotional to they, you. They just wanted to fuck. <laughs> like, but I'm thinking like you want a good death for this thing. You want to see your villain die. Like you want to have a, a good yeah, death. We've, we've touched on this yeah. a lot. If you have a bad guy, you got to have something bad happen to him. You need to have a monster that's done something like, oh my god, like that, like stepping on a school or something, and killing <laughs> a bunch of kids, or like or like like killing a bunch of kids, and it's like like if. Brian Cranston and his wife were in Japan and like this thing popped out and killed their kid. Like you're like, fuck this thing, dude. Like they were a tight knit family and she was fine as hell. She was fine as hell. Like if you if you if you can convince the audience that they want to see this don't you wanna see this monster die? <laughs> I said that you want to see this monster die. If you, if you can convince them that, then I think you can have a good monster movie. because um, then you can get a good death. And that's that's a cool death. Like Well, I mean and ultimately in the end of the day we all just want to see Godzilla do his thing yeah. and the way you do that is you give him something to do his thing against that offers entertaining options for him to do stuff to mm. and having a two on one fight with two giant bug monsters is yeah pretty entertaining that's why I don't like I th- so I guess especially we- since you don't like him and but you like him so you want to see him wreck their shit yeah <laughs> so I guess we can kind of uh, we can kind of try to yeah, wrap, let's, wrap let's try to here. wrap up here. We've been rambling for, for a while. A while. Now. I told you that this was probably going to be a pretty long episode. We might be able to edit this down to two minutes, two or two minutes, <laughs> two, and, two and a half hours. I this was gonna. We knew going in this was going to be a long one. Yeah. Um. So, all in all, I guess what I was trying to get from this was I wanted to get your perspective on Godzilla movies because they're they're very near and dear to you. Absolutely. And I. I, I, I've watched the 1998 one a few times as an adult, uh, drunk. This is like <laughs> this is like a movie that I'll put on when I'm like, it's the end of the night, I've had a little bit too much to drink and I need some food, so I'm going to have some drunk munchies. And I just want something to watch. And this is a very, like, 98's a very good drunk watch because it's just, I don't know what it is about it. There's something, like I said, cozy about it. And I can just let it play out for a little bit. And then as soon as we get to Madison Square Garden, I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm sleepy now. I just stop watching it. That sounds like a good cutoff time because that's when it just shits the bed. And I and you wanted to compare. I I wanted to bring in 2014 as because it's the most recent one that I've seen. That I, I honestly think it's a pretty good movie. I think it is too. I think it's pretty good. And I wanted to get your opinion on that. And I still want to see the original Godzilla, but I'm also excited to see the new one. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. Um, and I was impressed. I liked Kong Skull Island. I thought that that was... A f- I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was pretty good. I, I wasn't expecting to like it at all. Um, and same with this. And I, I think the new one might be kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, to me, the 98 Godzilla movie is just an example of just missing missing the point. Gotcha. Like, the spirit, the soul just is not there. Um, like okay. I said, I look at the monster in that and I, I don't see Godzilla. I mean, at one point, uh, Toho started calling it Zilla instead of Godzilla, mm-hmm. to not only to create a distinction between the original Japanese character and the American it, interpretation, uh, but just because as like almost like an insult. <laughs> well, it honestly like gam, uh, gam, how do you say it? Gamera. Gamera. Gamera is more of a Godzilla esque creature than uh, Godzilla ninety eight Zilla. Yeah, because it's it's a complete like it moves more like uh, well it's a man in a suit yeah and Godzilla 98 it's like the biggest like one of the biggest things that is important to know about watching Godzilla 98 is uh 
it came out during the disaster movie boom of the 90s mm -hmm. and it feels it yeah um dante's peak volcano independence day kind of gets roped into that too character actors deep impact armageddon just if you think of godzilla in that context in like 90s disaster movie where you have a bunch of quippy characters and like an ensemble cast and i get that because godzilla is oftentimes best portrayed as a force of nature but he's not meant to be this animal that ducks between buildings and like hides and has agility and stuff like you th if you think of him in the terms of like a tidal wave or, or a earthquake or something it's just this thing that keeps coming and nothing you can do can stop it mm -hmm. as opposed to something that's actively evading you and like making tactical decisions and stuff we should i kind of want to rank the 90s disaster movies at some point i think that would be kind of a fun episode just Oof, there's so many of them though we'd have to do like a top top five top eight something like that maybe even a top 10 i don't know it's, but it's, it's a project because uh twister is up there <laughs> i know you like twister i love twister um yeah so that's that's kind of all i had about it, yeah so. um at the end of the day i like godzilla 2014 I think it does mess with the canon in unexpected ways that are a little distressing in some ways. Like, I, I do have issue with the fact that Godzilla's not man-made in it, because mm -hmm. that seems like a, a little bit of an insult to the legacy. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think Godzilla 98 is just not a very good movie. <laughs> it's not. I'm not defending it at all. Yeah. I, it's one of those movies that I... And it, it just find. doesn't do... It doesn't do anything in particular all that well. Like, even the... Even the action, even the chaos and the destruction stuff, it's kind of sedate. It's not like Independence Day where it's like, holy shit, the whole fucking country just got destroyed. Yeah. It's just kind of like, this creature isn't even interested in smashing buildings. It hides in buildings, yeah. and then we blow up the buildings. It's like, what? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. So that was Godzilla 98 versus Godzilla 2014. Yeah. Hope you all enjoyed catching up on cinema with us. Yes.